0: Right? In about three seconds, if you go to the Tech News Twitter account at TNATW, you'll notice that the top tweet in the Twitter account, is it ready? It's there. Is the live stream of this room. And it's delayed by a few seconds. Is it? Oh, wait. No. Huh? Hang on. Wait, 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 wait. Let's unpin this tweet unpin
1: so nice you decided to share the cool news
0: i just want to see if it works right it was
1: then? working early on
0: i see a link there but is that why isn't it put the player there yet that's really weird oh Hold yeah on, it's me... there okay yeah that's the link to the live but it it should make it into a player here shortly so yeah the top tweet is the live stream directly in Twitter, and I will pin that to the top. And so if mm-hmm. you want to retweet that or comment mm-hmm. on it, you can comment on it. That's another way. Anyway, uh, that's kind of a clever thing. And so I'll leave that pinned to the top of the Twitter account while until we meet next time. So every time you see the Tech News Twitter account, the top tweet will be the, the most recent gathering. And we did this when we met last time. 8 hours ago and i think it got up to nearly 400 views on twitter alone like separate people who stumbled upon it and monica who joins us on stage often left a comment oh this is great cuz i missed this i missed you guys and now i get to see it here and it's kind of a very cool way to keep updated if you miss an episode so um i found thing?
2: your um, i found your spotify postings very helpful and that's why I- you know, the poo-poo storm we had earlier in the week was surprising to me because I use it as a resource. I know we're recorded, right? And and I don't want to go down that avenue again, but it is so helpful. And, and, and putting it on Twitter is going to be even more helpful.
0: But I, I actually, lo- I checked and the, the scissors aren't working because I have a second account. And my, my app on my phone has the feature enabled. Um. And I came into this room, and the, for whatever reason, the clips weren't available. So maybe I, maybe it is that I need to create the room inside of the native iPhone app, and then that um, makes sense. And then open it up in Club Deck. But I love this clipping feature, and I highly encourage people to clip like crazy and share the clips like crazy.
1: Yep, Tyler, can you check the hand raise? I have some back channel.
0: Yeah, but unfortunately, no one's mm-hmm. able to do any clipping today, which is. You know, very unfortunate. You could I, always I, I,
3: do like one of those, Tyler. We could always do one of those things when you were kids, like run around the circle to see, play the music, and like let us all run out and run back in. Kind of wait, what?
4: Are, I, wait, what I said yesterday about journalism was recorded.
0: <laughs> to our Twitter clips. Hold that. on.
5: This is excellent interoperability, like at def- altogether different level. That's what we need for like maybe it's like the metaverse 101 like beginning of metaverse
3: yeah but tyler this is yes. also because clubhouse realizes people are recording all their rooms and kind of trying to push it over at airtime and getting monetizing it through podcasts there's a number of rooms and clubs that have also been like putting the red button that they're recording and they're they're taking business away from the app i think it'd be interesting if clubhouse just ends up purchasing airtime or something so that it just marriage marries the two together and it gives them the video feature as well.
0: So well, there's somebody, let me invite whoever has the, <laughs> either club somebody from clubhouse, uh, is trying to get on stage here related to clips. They have a party hat. Oh, Donna's back. Donna, I have a question for you. Did you try to DM me a few days ago uh, on, in my, personal twitter account
6: uh possibly and does um, your does like your that. twitter
0: account not have a profile photo it does not yeah.
6: have a photo okay yeah he you. Didn't, have a photo. Yeah, okay.
0: didn't have a photo there it is i okay. see that now you sent the coindesk tweets okay. you mean
1: that's the question you want to ask you should have asked me
0: <laughs> well she sent me some Cheryl,
1: Cheryl knows <laughs> yeah all. yeah okay. she don't have a profile picture okay. on the twitter account
0: yeah. okay so i'll correct that i'll correct that that's right I just yeah, I don't, please I, update
2: your pretty your face. Good Donna. Hi, Tyler's practicing good hygiene.
0: Yes. So, um we can get into it. Is everybody ready? So there's this this new uh clubhouse clipping thing, which for those wondering, I I, I think it's brilliant. I highly encourage people to clip all the my crazy rantings and uh, share them as you wish. Uh you have my full blessing. So um
1: I yeah. have a... I have a missing person announcement. Anybody know where Haman is? Heyman? He, yeah. He's
2: probably uh, asleep, guys. He, you know, he was in last night's no,
1: room. No, no. Actually, he he was supposed to help us with the recording of today's setup just now, but he didn't appear. Because he no, is the one I who proposed. Is, it.
2: What I mean is, what I mean is, is he that Haman lecturing me. Oh, he me. oversleep. Maybe. Yeah. No, Heyman's always lecturing me, like Chris. You need to sleep. You need to sleep. You know, <laughs> you're up until two every day, and you wake up at seven. You need yeah. sleep. So last night he in at two a.m. Yeah. our time, and I'm like, "What are you doing awake, bro?" And he's like, "Oh, I couldn't sleep." <laughs> so I okay. think he just overslept.
1: Okay, then that's okay. As long as he's fine, I think it's okay. Okay, great. We have a great room with Doctor Danish just now. Uh, uh just unfortunately, it's uh, not recorded. So if you miss it, you missed it. I'm sorry.
0: Okay. Um, one, hey,
7: one... Tyler, all those new features are not uh, enabled for everybody, by the right. way, because they're rolling them out. Instantly. Okay.
0: Yeah. So and Tyler, yeah,
8: I've what, got the feature. What's, yeah, so what's the most important? The, the renew is the you can record it. It's called a replay.
0: But oh, right, it, that too. Yes, I
8: think that's yeah. That's that's much more important than clips.
0: They're equal. I think equally important. Yeah, they're both fantastic. They're both huge, ben, hugely beneficial for growing a show. If you have a a show, um, that's it's fantastic. And it says they'll no, let you think... keep keep the recorded show for as long as you like. So we that would have been amazing. We've had you know we've been doing this twice a day since uh, you know back in March or whatever it was. Um, it'd be interesting to see what kind of views you know some of those would get. Anyway, and then it well, would by be the way, to
5: see, yeah, you know, the, when the, they would start making meme out of these clips, say what? I mean, people would start memes out of the clips. Oh, clip.
0: yeah, and then even more interesting is the pre-recorded episodes. Or what what are they calling that, BB? They just I, if they, I forget what they uh,
8: replace
0: replays. They, oh, yes, yeah. you can have a replay, and so if we have replays turned on, which of course we will, the I think the the thing that's so incredibly interesting about that is. this new replay feature uh, could be actually the most important feature yet because you also can do uh, a voice-to-text transcriptions very easily, and you can add that on later anytime. So at some point in the near future, super easy prediction, (laughs) Clubhouse will have a a speech-to-text trans, you know, transcriber, like Otter AI, who already does this now anyways, And YouTube turned this on recently, so all of their millions and millions of videos can be converted into text while you watch them. Even old, old videos, you can watch them in any language you want. So not only do they get transcribed from audio to text, the text goes into all different languages. So that's fantastic. So then it's even better, because then you build a search Oh, and by the way, BB, did you notice in this latest update of Clubhouse, there's actually yes. three features. Could you please...
8: Actually, it's five if you're counting the spatial audio in uh, Android. In, in the well. latest
0: update that I just got, there was two, maybe there was more than three, but there was three very interesting new features. The clips that we were talking about, the replay, the ability to replay old rooms you know and and like as i'm saying if you have the old rooms and you have text to a speech to text uh transcription and translation into multiple languages and then the other feature they announced in the latest update is universe something they call universal search well now that's interesting because what if you can search all of the words in all of the previous rooms that have ever been played. Now you have the beginnings of a search engine. Because. I'm Tyler. Yes. Yeah.
8: Uh, sorry. Uh, the, like, uh, right now, if you use the search, so you will see there are two columns. Left is people, right is clubs. Correct. So they like, showed a video. If they like, upgraded to the universal search, you have the. Um, left from right to it's top, people, clubs, room, and uh, I forgot the last one, but you have five five columns. So the label suggested maybe the top list or top people, I'm not sure, but the left side is from top. And you can search the room related to that name or your keywords as well. That's how the video shows.
0: Oh there's a video of how search works right so yes, in, in yeah, addition yeah. to clubs and people or, or users what are the other ones
8: and top i i guess it means the top of the topic or because it's just top <laughs> the title is top and under that seems uh, both people and the club are shown under that on um, the second people and the clubs and the rooms and let me check the last okay, one that's okay. there. Are five that's
0: all right so the point is is that if they're now adding more powerful search and they've got pre-recorded rooms endlessly forever which they do that they make a point to say that they will last as long as you want them to last these replay rooms and if those replay rooms can be converted from speech to text and that text can be translated in multiple languages and that text can be indexed and searched now you have building a corpus of canonical content that you can search like a search engine this is essentially what Google did they have a whole bunch of websites with a whole bunch of text and they index the text and then you can find and search and now well, yes Carl
9: Sorry. Uh, um, more, more aptly in, in comparison with Google, YouTube, if you search for something specifically and it comes up with a YouTube video, it will not only match it, but it will also try and in- interpolate where in that video it should start so you'll often see that it comes up with like a maintenance video for instance if you you know google how to fix my my macbook battery it'll come up with a video but then it will show you in the search results that it's from 13 seconds to 56 seconds which is the bit that you care about so it it can you know if they go down that route clubhouse could very easily not just show you the transcription but it'll just bring up the replay of the room and play you the audio from the point that you're searching from from that key right. point so, and that's very cool but I yeah. do worry that it would make people a little bit more hesitant with what they say because if I can put the name of somebody important in and bring up immediately every result of every time they've ever spoken then that pseudo anonymity that we think we have on Clubhouse by being lost in the masses kind of is eroded a little well the thing is well, that's an illusion,
10: it. isn't it? Like
9: 'cause it, it is an illusion, absolutely, it. but it it's an illusion that people adhere to that enables them to speak because okay, yes, I'm being recorded, but you know, like Tyler for instance, hundreds of thousands of, of you know, hundred thousands of recordings, any particular thing that might be said at any point is lost in there. It would take you a long time to find it. If you can index it and search it instantly, um, then the size doesn't really matter anymore.
1: Carl, if they can cut some cut off some BS, I'll be happy.
10: Yeah, you know what? I agree with that, actually, cool. yeah. Oh, Simon
9: from Otter AI.
0: Perfect, 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 perfect. Simon, hello, welcome back. And Simon, Simon, who just joined the stage, works at Otter AI, which does precisely what we're talking about, which takes audio in a room like this and converts it into perfect text. You do a fantastic, mind-blowingly good job of converting very rapid, fluid, organic conversations including the uh, weekly town hall meetings here in clubhouse into text. And it's, it's brilliant. And imagine that clubhouse buys Otter AI and adds that ability to all these replay rooms that can, you know, as YouTube did years later, YouTube had, you know, a decade worth of videos and then bought a speech to text translator ability. Well, they didn't buy it. They used Google translate, obviously. And then they applied it to all their videos and now it's all in English and then they transcribe it into every language. And now it's searchable by every language, by everybody in the world of every piece of thing that was ever said in any YouTube video ever. And that's why Google bought YouTube because YouTube, uh, sorry, Google understood that eventually people are gonna stop writing websites and blog posts and start talking in videos. And now they're talking in rooms like this. And it's very, the next stage is, you know, create more incentives for people to use this remarkable, miraculous medium called social audio. And there will be tons of it, endless hours, billions and billions of hours of social audio. And that's going to need to, that's a lot of incredible, valuable information, both in real time and what we call canonical, historical information. And now you have a very easy justification of a $4 billion valuation. Because now you're a fucking search engine, y'all, and that is incredibly easy to monetize stuff right there. Simon,
11: I just love how both you and this whole gang right here, the tech, the tech news gang, that's uh, manifesting the future. I love it. I love it. Um, I think. I, I think in general, thirty more seconds. I think in general, this is a great validation and uh, a stamp in. The, the near term future that we're moving toward—that you know, people are going to see the value of being able to record and transcribe and persist the knowledge. That you know, all the great things that we all talk about in tech news and any type of you know, rooms where we're having uh, thoughtful discussions and 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 being searchable—I mm-hmm. think it's not so bad. So I think we just need to get comfortable about speaking the truth, adding value and turn all of this knowledge that we discuss in the near term, whether it's in clubhouse rooms or in meetings or in interviews, and then be able to remind ourselves of recent past self or one-year-old self. What are some thoughts and ideas that we discuss? And then be able to turn it into something that's searchable and relevant and pops it back up, so everything is indexed and searchable, so that we can benefit ourselves, benefit each other, benefit our colleagues, benefit our different departments in a in in the in a larger organization, or just benefit the whole community in general. So I think it's so so super important. So I'm so glad that Clubhouse uh, founders finally gets it and say, yes, recording clips, replay.
0: Love it. I love the direction that they added search to the latest version of the update. So
11: yes, yes. But I think if I read it carefully for now, it's just searching very basic metadata. Correct. But I, I I agree with your, the direction that you're thinking that everybody has been talking about in the last 30 minutes. I think that's the right direction to go.
0: And then the next step is, you know, as we talked about when we met eight hours ago, I have a new feature request that I think would be an absolute game changer for the app in addressing the issue of getting lots of awesome new content into the app, having been part of YouTube, uh, from early on. And, and, oh, Heyman's chatting in the back channel, Cheryl, he's awake. So, um, yeah,
1: he called me and he's so sorry about that. That's right. So
0: (laughs) the, the idea that I would love clubhouse to allow me to record a, Few seconds, 15 seconds, little audio clip that plays when to anyone who as they enter the room. So it says, Room loading. Hey, this is Tyler. Just want to say this or that or whatever. And uh, today's show is brought to you by whatever the sponsor is. Enjoy the room. Boom. And you're in the room. And you have a, a I can also have a, extend the option to you to skip over my little welcome greeting which may be an ad, which may, I may ask you to, um, you know, there it might be an ad, it might not, but that 15 second or whatever, whatever they're willing to uh, might be willing to give to the room creator. Uh, if, it, if I am able to give that ad, because when we do this room in the course of, it brings about a thousand people an hour come into this room pretty, very consistently. Two hours is about two thousand p- people, three hours is about three thousand people. So at a thousand people per hour, and we do six hours per day, so we're talking about six thousand people come in. Those that's six thousand ad impressions, that's incredibly valuable. I can monetize the shit out of that by telling you to go to NordVPN and you know use our code, you know, TNATW at NordVPN. I could make a thousand dollars a day doing that. So could anybody, 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 and then all of a sudden, And you have a whole lot of interesting people. It's worth their time to participate, just like YouTube did around year three of YouTube when they started allowing people to monetize in YouTube. Pre-monetization in YouTube, YouTube was almost exclusively cat videos. And then they started monetization. And what do you know, Joe? All of a sudden, you've got people that have more interesting
9: videos to show in YouTube. And you, you could add those periodically through the recordings as well. You could set that auto I don't even need it. The introduction I just knew in, I just in, want it as a
0: welcome ones. at the front. And this would be technically because it's difficult to build an ad network, right? Because that's a marketplace, it's a chicken and egg, and you got to go get a whole bunch of sponsors. You know, have to make this system where people can buy ads and target ads. They're not easy, as Carl can verify. It's not simple. That's not a simple thing to build, an ad network into a social media app. It although adding a little 15-second recording at the greeting of a room, that's child's play. You could do that in a few hours. And I, as the creator, can turn that into an ad for myself. I can go, there's a tons of affiliate websites where I can go find, you know, tons of affiliate codes, programs to promote different products and services that might be relative to our audience. And that could turn that could be very lucrative and by saying this by enabling this now content creators can monetize their rooms very significantly because that verge article that came out 48 hours ago the gist of the beef in that article was that in, the, in fact in fact the headline of the article read clubhouse needs creators but creators need money okay Give me 15 seconds of each person who enters the room, I can convert that into money. Easy fucking peasy. Anyone can. There's plenty of websites that can give you hundreds of products who are just looking for distribution to people's audiences. And they give you the ability to make your own discount code. Every YouTube video you see these days is, you know, Lex Friedman's. Every podcast is like, hey, well, Joe Rogan's like, uh, go get the cash app. Use the code uh, Joe Rogan experience. Go to this product and test it out and use the code this, this or that. That's affiliate marketing. You can then use that 15 seconds uh, intro to do affiliate marketing and monetize your show. And now you're going to get tons of creators. It's now going to they're going to be able to make their little careers here in clubhouse so without with but given the the current constraints that clubhouse have as they're still a very young relatively small startup they're very limited and have to focus very carefully on what time they allow to different projects but bang for buck i think carl would agree as he's a developer that fifth, creating that 15 second uh you know audio and you know welcoming greeting call it the you know the greeting room right interstitial yeah but yeah it, technically in the ad business we call them interstitials but the to be able to do a what i call i think you know consumerize the terminology for a second and call it a greeting a host greeting or what a mod greeting that would likely will do for Clubhouse what turning on monetization did for YouTube, which was it turned that whole entire platform from a whole bunch of cat videos into a whole bunch of interesting content, Uh, uh, you know, a a robust library of interesting content, because now it's worth intelligent people's time to participate. So and addresses head on bullseye uh, that the whole critique of that Verge article that says uh, Clubhouse needs uh, creators and creators need money there it is. Boom. You're done in a weekend. You could, they could turn that on in their next update. That is absolutely trivial to write the code on that. And again, I could also, if I, in my greeting, uh, have a toggle that lets people skip it and just press the bypass button. And because they, you know, they heard it yesterday. They don't need to hear it again. They can skip it up to me as the room creator, if I want to push a 15 second greeting on you or not. So anyway, That's my feature request. Yeah, Yeah,
4: that's Uh, good. One more thing thing with the uh, audio to text translation, which if that happens, either with Otter or which I love, and by the way, my niece loves, uh, um, uh, is that in some rooms, it's very technical. And if if it can be translated, if, if it can be transformed into text, it, it can really be a learning experience for younger people who are trying to understand certain fields. And uh, th- they can then refer to the text after having listened to the audio simultaneously. And that's, that's a real educational opportunity. So that would be great also.
11: Absolutely for educational institutional even clubhouse summits like you know right now there's the emotional intelligence summit is using Otter right now for precisely this, this reason so there's a lot of educational value as well uh, but to add on to tyler's uh, idea uh, just to throw it in there what about a 30 second room reset right the sponsor room reset that can also be monetized for the creator so it's, there's a lot of win-win-win situations
5: That bandwidth can be dynamic, right? So you need not play just one clip. And based on the persona of the guy who's entering the room, you can play a different clip there. And Tyler, I think you can suggest, and they can put that feature just for you uh, and just see the uh, test case, do the A-B testing. That's actually a good idea.
10: Not to mention deaf and hard of hearing people can actually be on Clubhouse if they actually put the
2: text on the bottom as well. Simon, can I give you a suggestion and hopefully you can run with it? I would recommend having a chronological bar that lists your speakers. And when they speak, there's like a graph that spikes up and down based on the timeline, because I find that very helpful. Sometimes it's like, oh, uh, David Christ said said something, you know, towards the middle of the show, and I'll find myself scrubbing through Spotify trying to find it. If there is a visual way to see on a timeline who's speaking and when they speak with little spikes, almost like SoundCloud does, it would be gangbusters. And I think you would have a killer feature besides the transcription that would really just like, you know, make your company go gangbusters. So hopefully you could take that if it makes any great,
11: sense. Great suggestions. Stay tuned.
0: Okay. Are we ready? Anyone got a headline they want to jump into? Before we get into the big popular ones.
3: Well, Tyler, that NFT one's really interesting. Oh yes, it is.
0: Let's that. do that one. So um, I just let me tweet it. I tweeted it right before the room opened, and I will retweet it again right now. Uh, I may have found this from Justin Taylor, who recently joined Twitter as the head of consumer product marketing, previously at Nike and Activision, and he tweeted a video recording screenshot from his phone of a. A fellow Twitter team member. Uh, oh, shnikes. I When I untweeted it, it went away. I'm an idiot. Um, sh- can you? Hmm.
3: I think his name is Justin Taylor. He's yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It's on it's it's on my page as well. I got it.
0: What what's his Twitter account?
3: I think it's a oh god, <laughs> it's like something dreamy or stormy dreamy. Something yes, happened.
0: it was something crazy like that. The smarmy bum. Yes. There it is. Got oh, it. Thank you. Found it. Okay. So he's got this video that I'm tweeting out now to the tech news, Twitter account of uh, someone at Twitter named Mata Affleck, who's a software engineer working on, uh, she's a tech lead. And this is what a amaze dream come true. This one. And you have to see it to kind of so understand excited. it, but I'll try and talk. So you. Excited. I'll try and talk <laughs> you through it. Essentially. You can update your photo, your avatar in Twitter. And the first thing it asks you to do is. Uh, I'm I'm going to explain it as it. The, connect it
3: your it. MetaMask
0: wallet. It asks you, OK, you w- w- let's connect to. Oh, no, there's a whole new collectibles tab in your That's Twitter. Right, right. So when on your Twitter profile, you have your tweets and then you've got your media which is your photos and your videos that people can just skip to all of your tweets that have photos and videos and now there's an and your replies so people can you know stalk you and see how you're replying to everybody and now there's a new tab called collections and on that collections it's a your ability to showcase all of your digital assets and you connect you to your coinbase wallet and and once you're in Coinbase, you connect to wherever you're hosting your, you and know, your, if, your, wherever your NFTs are Web being held.
3: Wallet. I think he's doing a Web3 rollo- Web wallet. And yes. it also ties very seamlessly back to what he's doing with the Lightning Network and yes. what Jack Dorsey's v- bigger vision is, in my opinion.
0: Yes. And, and in doing so, you can now prove you have a place to showcase and sort of prove that you own these NFTs. And that's part of the fun of owning them is the ability to prove that you actually are the owner of them. So um, it's, and it, and it also applies to your actual Twitter avatar. So the, in the video that they show here, the person updates their Twitter avatar. And instead of choosing a photo from their iPhone's photos, they choose one of the NFTs that they own. And in this case, they show a uh, one of the crypto punks and it has a little cute icon an Ethereum icon next to it to kind of validate that it's legit.
3: Tyler, yeah. oh my God, this is brilliant. Yeah. Are you are you seeing what I'm seeing? I am. Could you? I mean, the fact that, remember it, they said about the personas. Yeah. Oh my God, this marries beautifully together with that because yeah. now the personas could be attached to a different NFT, which actually could demonstrate a different persona inside your Twitter account. But now it gives you the option possibly to have Multiple different NFTs as your profile pictures, depending on your persona.
0: Yep. So it's uh, a lot of fun stuff happening in Twitter and in Clubhouse today. So we're going to get into the headlines now. Thank you for finding that and sharing that, Ame. It is Trader
2: Joe saw it, Ame. Trader Joe saw it a long time ago. It was for sale <laughs> in Trader
5: Joe's. Look,
3: Trader Joe, I got a list for you. <laughs> we have to have a back channel conversation.
5: You know, but in order to do all of this, we need, like, really good GPUs and good set of computations. And I'm not sure if Clubhouse would have that sort of access as Google has. And all the features we can think of, unless the computation is good, I think not much is going to happen there.
0: Okay, so here we go with uh, the top stories, shall we? The top story at this moment is Senators grilled Facebook executive Antigon Davis at a hearing about Instagram's impact on teens and were frustrated by her reticence to answer questions directly, according to TechCrunch. Last night, Facebook published to... Anyway, so there's a whole bunch of publications that um, have their own takes on this. For example, um, let's see... Bloomberg's headline says, uh, Facebook prioritizes greed over children, senators say. New York Times headline says, we know what Facebook knew and when we knew it, now what? Okay. Washington Post says lawmakers hammer Facebook for hiding how its products may hurt kids. CNBC says lawmakers give Facebook a clear message. Don't build Instagram for kids. NBC News uh or the, the Guardian says, Congress grills Facebook exec on Instagram's harmful effects on children. That's a very fair headline. BBC says, uh, Facebook grilled over mental health impact on kids. Wired, which is a geek pro-tech headline, <laughs> one says, the Senate is mad at hell at Facebook again. <laughs> and it actually makes it a hilarious point that pointing out a bit of kind of um, I- ironic um, hypocrisy that the Congress, which is about to shut down the fucking government due to its ineptitude is lecturing Facebook, one of the most successful enterprises in the history of mankind on how it needs to run itself. And, um, you know, the inability for the government to do anything and fix its own glaring problems. And yet they're lecturing Facebook on, you know, uh, its problems. So it's, it is. In that context, it's, it's 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 a fair point. It's kind of I didn't really consider it until they, I saw that headline.
2: Yeah. Thanks for bringing that up, because I, I mentioned that to Ken last night. I'm like, don't these guys have something to do with the debt ceiling? And <laughs> yeah. I get it. I get it. I get it. But it's like, come on. <laughs> like
0: you're, the, whole, the whole government's about to shut down. And if you don't raise a debt ceiling, you're going to send the entire planet into an economic collapse. Maybe you want to think about your role and your responsibilities. What has led us to this cliff that we're about to fall off? And let's not worry so much about this app uh, and how you know priorities. So, um, anyway, it's a bit, it's a little ironic and a little bit um, hypocritical, but nonetheless, it's an it's an important. I don't want to diminish it. It's an important issue, and and it seems to me Facebook does understand. That mom and dad are, are putting their foot down and are very adamant this time and very insistent that you better shape up your act or we're going to take away your toys and your games and we're going to regulate your ass. So either fix it or now this is the, the third and final warning, Marky. Do you, do you hear me, Mr. Mark Zuckerberg? This is your mom and dad, the Senate talking, and you either uh, fix this issue or there will we're going to take away your car keys for the weekend and your telephone and no more Nintendo for you. Okay, Mark? And Mark seems to understand that they're not joking around this time. And he probably is going to have, you know, he already said, okay, I'm not going to release Instagram for kids. And let's see if they, but ultimately, what is the real solution here? They're going to have to fix their algorithm and their algorithms based on engagement. And engagements, what got them the success that they have? So they're caught walking a tightrope with their investors about diminishing engagement. They now have to show content that isn't optimal for engagement. That's a little tough for them to do. Ethic, I mean, in terms of their own corporate ethics, which aren't really, uh, which are quite different from social ethics, but they're they, they're going to knowingly reduce engagement on their site when since the minute they were created, they've been optimizing for engagement on their site, this is going to be very difficult to do uh, internally, but they have to do it, or do they so that's that's where we're at and let's see how it shakes out. Anyone have a guess on how they think it will shake out?
12: I don't think they'll do it, and i don't think uh, I think Congress just gives lip service every single time they bring these guys on. You got to remember Facebook had lobbyists before they were even public and they've spent, you know, but Zuckerberg's renowned $500 million in the last election. I think they have a very clever way to go before Congress say the right things. They know they're in the, the back pocket of most of these senators and congressmen. And they just, they just do whatever they have to, to just skate by these guys. These guys in, in Congress have no clue about Facebook You know, you got guys up there asking how they can offer a free service and Zuckerberg looks at them and says, we sell ads. I mean, it's, it's just laughable. And I think they'll just, they'll just slide by. They'll just do the minimal they can and they'll bury the stuff in algorithms and confuse the shit out of them. And they'll have, you know, the the regulations just won't, won't come to fruition. It really depends on the um, midterm elections and
4: whether they can get through all this chaos in Washington, because let's say, uh, which is un- highly unlikely, but if the Democrats are able to gain control, uh, uh, increase or at least maintain control uh, of, the, um, of Congress, and then um, if they can sort out through these budget issues, then they can focus on, on Facebook for the next two years. And they'll probably get some, as I said yesterday, some Republican uh, assistance on this issue. Uh, so we'll have to see how that plays out.
6: I'm going to go with the first speaker. It's not going to be regulated. I, I don't. They can't. How they they aren't sharp enough. It's a, a super complicated thing to do. It's going to have to come more from public, and um, and and that wing, as Tyler pointed out, there's shareholder interest, there's public interest, there's a lot of different competing interests here. But I don't see regulators uh, being able to do something that actually is meaningful here.
0: Yeah. So, I'm, but just to, as a thought experiment for a second, what would you do if you were Facebook? So, if, if I were Facebook, no, and, and here's the problem they're not operating in a vacuum. They have TikTok surpassing them at the moment, right? In engagement. Like, you know, you're, you can't reduce engagement. TikTok's engagement is through the roof. They're more engaging than you are. And they're not being, they're not in the hot seat at the moment. So how, how do you play this exactly? So I, I, because I
13: have an idea.
0: Well, hold the, I'd love to hear it. But the, the, my point is in specifically, let's really focus here and be very strategical and tactical for a second. The issue is about Instagram. The issue is you, There somebody has made a a strong case that you're putting profits over people's um, better, you know, over people (laughs) and, on Instagram and especially young ladies and their body image, you're going to have to come up with a way to a month from now to have a new study that shows that you've made actual progress on this particular issue of young ladies and their uh, self image and how Instagram a month from now you're going to right. let's agree. This is probably a good strategy a month from now. Facebook has to announce now we're going to do a new study. We've made some changes to our algorithm and we expect the outcome of this change in our algorithm is going to actually head on address this issue. And we're we're going to crack the code on young women's uh, body image issues. OK, so and then a month from now, you are going to have new data and that new data is going to show miraculously that young women actually now don't have any problems. Instagram isn't actually causing them to have negative self-image, body self-image, right? And then you're going to say, hey, Congress, we did it. Hey, hey, everybody, look who did it. It's your boy over here, Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch over here at Facebook. We figured it out. We solved the problem. We're all good, everybody. It's been real. Um, Take care. We're just going to go back to competing with TikTok. Leave us alone. Thank you. So now they need to do that. And the question is, that new study that they do, of course you can rig that thing five ways to Friday. No one can prove that you did. And maybe that's your way out. Is that not a clever strategy for getting yourself out of this whole quagmire that they have found themselves in for the moment? And maybe they do adjust the algorithms in some interesting way that they do know will specifically, maybe they even go so far as to invite back the exact same people who took that survey before? You can forget the guys; you don't need them because no one's complaining about them. You just get the young ladies who answered that question that way, and you're like, "Hey, ladies, we would love you to come back. Um, you know, find some incentive. You know, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna make sure that uh, you know uh, Beyonce follows you on Instagram if you participate. Great. Okay, thank you. So here's what we need you to do. We need to, to keep using Instagram for a month and then we're going to an- answer this question. And then you get to go to this Beyonce concert and meet Beyonce backstage. Great. Okay, lovely. And then then you can tell the press, oh, we ha- we got those same ladies back. And guess what? We fixed the problem. You're welcome. Next.
6: Or a competing group, they don't need the exact same ladies, Tyler. They As you're pointing out, they could just do another small study. Their their algorithms, they can do anything they want. These right, but then, but then, they can do it. Right, groups. yeah. But
0: then people will be skeptical, like, ah, you cherry picked out the people. We, you know, you fudged all this data. You didn't really do anything. You just you found your you got all of your cousins to answer the survey, and of course they answered it the way you want them to answer. And bada boom, bada bing. The thing Isn't is
13: that what uh, Facebook historically has done with most of the changes they have done? You know, when they started way back and then and they said the news feed, people complained and they were going to leave Facebook. They said, oh, I'm sorry. But then they kind of pushed through without even changing that much. Or, you know, the privacy setting that they were sharing, like, um, you know, husband was buying uh, rings or something by default that you were supposed to opt out and that uh, they made it uh, the job yours and then everybody was sharing and then when the you know teenagers uh well at least the young people said, let's leave facebook and then they say no but then they pushed through and um, you know with the, the the data sharing until they got caught with doing something else but they usually just push through without minimally changing a lot of things
2: I think language is so important, right? I mean, for example, here's a quick example. Uh, Apple has this feature where you can use your iPad as a second screen, yep. right? And all of us naturally are like, cool, we can use our finger with it. We can finally touch pad. I can finally put touchpad pad on, or touch, touch screen on my Mac, but you can't. And so like the question is you go type like, oh, how come I can't use touch screen with my iPad? When you go to Apple's site, They frame it so well. They just tell you, well, you know, here's this great feature. You can use your mouse with it. And they didn't say anything about what you couldn't do. And so what I'm getting at is this was an eleven out of twelve positive note slide. Whoever put that one one third number thought that one third equaled like, well, this is a low number. It's a low fraction of, of of the portion. But the thing is is they framed it as one third have suicidal thoughts. If they would have framed it as two-thirds do not have suicidal thoughts, we may not be having this conversation. And I'll shut up now.
0: Well, this is my point, is they need to address this particular issue is hanging over them. They've got this image problem now. I mean, this is just how society works, as things get stretched beyond. And it's, you know, to be very technical, it's like the question was, does Instagram... uh, give you a better or worse self image around these following issues. And, you know, one of them was your, your financial health. Oh, Instagram actually helps. Okay. your stresses about your family. Oh, Instagram is most, most of the people said it helps. And then when it comes to self image, you know, your body image and it was negative. And then somehow that has become extrapolated out beyond into uh, well, Instagram's bad for young girls. Well, no. On, on twelve Across 12 different issues, on the majority of issues, Instagram actually helps young girls, according to the young girls. And on one particular issue, as it relates to body image, uh, they believe that it's not helping them. Well, by the way, uh, they're, they are in, in some part responsible for the content that they see on Instagram. Instagram's sending you what they think they want, that you want to see. If you didn't want to see it, you don't, you know, don't look at it, and you can get, easily send signals that you're not interested in particular content by not continuing to look at it. So, I again, this is why you know magazines and Barbie dolls, and this has been an age-old issue, you know, uh, since back in the day here in the, in America. And uh, Facebook needs to address it head-on, and they need to redefine it and be very and, and reclassify it, that it's not just Facebook's bad for. Young kids or Facebook's bad for young women. It's even an even smaller subsection. It's they need to make clear that the issue is face. Uh, sorry, Instagram. Uh, that that young female users of Instagram think that it you know it causes them to have a negative body self image and just drive that issue home. That it's a very specific thing that they ranked low on in that survey and then go out to combat it. And they should be on a mission to do a re-survey ideally with the same people and adjust things until they did it and then show, hey, look, we just went out of our way to fix an actual issue head on. And the next, you know, I'm sure we will have other issues in the future. And when we have them, we will take the same approach to systemically fix them. Now, whether or not they actually truly fix those issues, like I said, it's a whole lot of gray areas here. It's a whole lot of, you could, you could get very fancy and funny with what you do to the algorithm and what you, who you pick to be in the survey and how you ask the questions and get yourself out of that pickle politically without really fixing the systemic problem. But by the way, if they had never done these surveys and shared them internally, they wouldn't be in front of the Senate anyways. So the reason Barbie didn't have a Senate hearing was because Barbie didn't never did a survey to find out how tragically they were fucking up every young girl's body self-image. Barbie would have been hung from a burning flaming cross if Barbie had ever if Mattel had ever done a survey of young ladies. ninety nine percent of young ladies think that Barbie gives them a negative body self-image, but they Mattel wasn't, you know hung up and hindquartered because they never did a survey. so. No data to show we did anything wrong. (laughs) Hey, ignorance is bliss. We don't know if it's hurting you or not because we never asked. So Tyler? Yes.
7: May I? uh, This is Robert. Yeah. Um, I still have a complex over G.I. Joe with the Kung Fu grip.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. My point is, is that now that we're in the age of digital shit, Facebook, if they're going to be Doing surveys about their users. Oh boy! Every tech company in the world just took a huge note to themselves in the past three days. Uh, keep all data about all survey questions in a fucking private vault uh, under you know crypto uh, passwords, you know, and physical keys. Because if that shit ever get, never let it be known by internal employees. You're setting yourself up for you know really dangerous shit. If you have negative results of any kind in these surveys. So don't do surveys. And if you do, uh, be very careful about it. Uh, Aram, you were saying?
13: If I were them, I would do the survey because my intention is to create a new product, which is positive. The R&D department is already working on it. There is something down the pipeline already, and that's why this is all shaping up this way. They are trying to stay ahead of the curve, and they already have their team working on the positive reinforcement models.
0: Yeah, I just think positive reinforcement apps traditionally don't do so well on the internet.
13: Not in that sense. I mean, um, the models that promote uh, positive self-image in a good way, not the addicting or negative way, because we do have those pathways in our brains and the research, the neuro uh, guys already are working on uh, that aspect instead of the addictive model.
0: Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, by the way, the the person who's kind of responsible for this whole brouhaha, this internal leaker at Facebook, is going to appear in a TV interview on Sunday on America's premier uh, interview news show called 60 Minutes. And boy, are people going to be glued for that one. And then that same whistleblower is going to be appearing in a Senate hearing in front of these same senators next week on October 5th. And they're they're going to, you know, really, the, obviously their intention is to throw their employer under the bus. The question, I, I, I guess now it's known they are a former employer, actually, that's been revealed. It's also revealed that it's a, a blonde woman. We've actually saw a short video clip of, from 60 Minutes, they've already recorded the segment, they're going to air it on Sunday. And they showed a little teaser, and then they show the person from behind, and it's it uh, appears to be an affluent, uh, middle-aged blonde woman. And could be a wig. Could be a could, wig. Could be a wig. Yes, and could um, be
14: Cheryl Sandberg.
0: Yeah, <laughs> that would be that would be a plot twist. It's easy. Yeah. So anyway, we're we're gonna learn a lot more in the days to come. So, so next, Tyler, yes.
7: the
12: the silver bullet in all this is for them to hire a new spokesperson, and the most trusted man in America, Anthony Felci, is going to be looking for a job. So. Oh I think you know, the Senate loves fauci so that there's, might work out
0: well There's a plot twist so in fact, the second biggest story on the on the Twitter webs at the moment happens to be the one we were started today with which is clubhouse announces several new features including 30 second clips letting listeners snip uh, audio and uh, send it out on the social networks. fantastic. I love it. Um, hopefully I need to figure out how to make that work here for tech news around the world tomorrow, um, for our special Saturday edition. And then there's also the ability for room creators to enable replay of the rooms after the rooms have closed. Love that one. And which lets hosts essentially record the room. And, uh, and, there, and also, as not mentioned in this article, they announced universal search, better, better search, basically, and spatial audio for Android, uh, which already exists on Apple's iOS. But that, that combination of replaying rooms and universal search with speech-to-text tra- uh, transcriptions, which uh, Simon on stage, his company does, Otter AI, you add those three together and you have a search engine. Boom, boom, boom. And uh, and boy, uh, you're now competing with YouTube. YouTube also is a search engine, by the way. You search for topics, and then they show you videos, just like Google, you search on Google for topics. And they show you web pages and videos, both, kind of a mix. And in the future, they might show you Clubhouse rooms related to your search that you search on Google. It's going to make Clubhouse much
15: more sticky versus uh, Spaces, and other apps. I mean, if you have all your recordings there and all your, you know, translation transcriptions there, it's going to be very sticky, difficult to move.
0: Well, all the more reason for this whole third, you know, opening greeting uh, uh, audio thing. Because then that that would my feature request to Clubhouse, where I'm saying, give me 15 seconds, optional, to add at the beginning of the room for everyone entering the room when they enter the room, whenever they enter the room. Because there's people entering now who, you know, and when those people enter the room, they hear my 15 second greeting where I give a shout out to go down, try this new, uh, you know, VPN service to protect your data from the Russians and the Chinese and use our code TNATW to get 30% off. That will play in the replay in in perpetuity. And I continue to make money off that show forever. (laughs) And that's how you make money by the way, is you build a catalog of content with ads in it that play forever. So now Clubhouse becomes an actual monetizable thing, and then you get real content creators coming in here and pretending to be the next Howard Stern, and uh, you, you solve the content problem on the on the platform. Yeah,
7: Twitch does something like that, right? Whenever you join a live stream, they have a little bit of a recording or advertising for
0: I don't know if they do or not, but... Um, The next article is Slack says that the service is down for many users worldwide since late Thursday afternoon due to a DNS issue. The workplace messaging app Slack used by Apple employees (laughs) um, might not be restored until 5 p.m. Eastern Time Friday for some people. Next, TikTok launches NFT collections. Featuring six, they're, they're starting with a handful of uh, specific creators, including Little Nas, where they That's can
3: so awesome.
0: Yeah, and so our friend Jeremiah Ouyang, who joins us here regularly, uh, shared a tweet about this, uh, saying, "Every social network will launch, house, and offer an exchange for NFTs. Here comes TikTok. It is TikTok the first social?" Media app to do this with NFTs. Yeah. Well, uh, it, by the way, TikTok and they're
3: doing it through they're doing it through Ethereum, so they're doing it like basically on the Ethereum blockchain.
0: Right. So TikTok and uh, this headline came out a few hours ago, right? And then Twitter, right? Amay, not to be outdone.
3: Yeah. Yep. 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 Yep.
0: Twitter, Twitter basic, popped out. Twitter's mm-hmm. like, hold hold the phone, Tyrone. We got the NFT shit happening over here too in Twitter land a few hours oh, later. The
3: battle is, the battle is who's going to be the third person now, which is going to be the third one to do it.
0: So you got to love how competitive TikTok and Twitter are to, I mean, literally the same day. They both launch NFT functionalities. Pretty freaking impressive.
3: How long do you think it'll take Instagram to do
0: it? Quite more than a minute because I think they think of their audience as not being so crypto-minded and correct.
2: They need the wallet integration too, right?
0: And by the way, this could actually Facebook has their own game in mind with their own currency in mind, so they might not want to be so full on NFT. Knowing Facebook, they they're very controlling. And they might want to create their own whole separate, more simplified uh, concept. So Uncle Bobby and Aunt Susie can, can, but let's be honest. And the whole concept of NFTs and blockchains, uh, out of Facebook's 3 billion users, there's only maybe a million that can understand this concept. And they've got 3 billion users who are wildly confused by it and for whom it's this is more of a headache than anything. So they need to make it. Uh, bone, he- bone-headed simple, as they are known for doing. And so they're going to come up with a whole new, more simple, 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 sm- much, much, much more simplified concept so that grandma and grandpa and Uncle Joey and that cousin who hit his head, who you know can't understand anything, can can participate in Facebook's watered-down versions of digital assets that they'll call... Yeah. face coins or some silly name like that so
2: only live on facebook
0: right well my point is is facebook has a history of uh, making things uh uh, super 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 simple i think nfts are too complex for the facebook audience generally so they'll come up with their own thing and i think that will apply to uh, they'll probably want to leverage you know the instagram facebook synergies and WhatsApp and kind of unite the three around their own kind of Facebook coin, Facebook digital wallet, and their own digital asset collection scheme.
6: Yes. And just to remind everyone, that scheme called the Novi Wallet is currently before, I think, all 50 states uh, to get approval because that uh, needs approval. Because when you start going in and out of coins and different coins and go to fiat, you know, they're all going to have to be licensed in all states. So that is in the process now.
0: So next up, Zoom says it no longer plans to acquire cloud-based call center software maker Five Nine, following the FCC's review of the $14.7 billion deal on national security grounds, according to CNBC. Zoom attempted acquisition of, of a software maker, failed to win sufficient approval from the five nine shareholders. And so it's not going through. A $14.7 billion deal. Not going to happen. The Verge says retailer Neiman Marcus says it notified 4.6 million customers that their personal info, including credit card numbers, may have been exposed in a data breach. And a look at the twelve billion dollar location data industry, including how collectors, aggregators, and marketplaces monetize user data. Did you hear that sound? Did somebody hear something? I just heard. I just heard something. That, that's the sound of data. That's your data that people are selling, and uh, it's t- it's, your location data is worth twelve billion dollars. So let's take a little looky-loo at that, this one. It says. Uh, A huge but little-known industry has cropped up around monetizing people's movements. Companies that you likely have never heard of are hawking access to the location history of your mobile phone. An estimated $12 billion market. The location data industry has many players, collectors, aggregators, marketplaces, and location intelligence firms, all of which boast about the scale and precision of the data they have amassed. Location firm Near describes itself as the world's largest data set of people's behavior in the real world, with data representing 1.6 billion people across 44 countries. Mobile Walla boasts 40 plus countries and 1.9 billion devices. 50, 50 billion mobile signals daily. Five plus years of data. Xmode's website claims its data covers 25% of the adult U.S. population monthly. In an effort to shed light on this little monitored industry, um, the markup, who I'm reading this from, has identified 47 companies that harvest, sell, or trade in mobile phone location data. While hardly comprehensive, the list begins to paint a picture of the interconnected players that do everything from providing code to app developers to monetize their user data to offering analytics from 1.9 million devices and access to data sets on hundreds of millions of people. Six companies claimed more than a billion devices in their data, and at least four claimed their data was the most accurate in the industry. And then they do a breakdown of all of these geo data players. And here's a quote. There's There isn't a lot of transparency, and there's really, really complex shadowy web of interactions between these companies that's hard to untangle, Justin Sherman, a cyber policy fellow at the Duke Tech Policy Lab said. They operate on the fact that the general public and people in Washington and other regulatory centers aren't paying attention to what they're doing. Occasionally, stories illuminate just how invasive this industry can be. In 2020, Motherboard reported that one of the companies, was collecting data from a Muslim prayer app and selling it to military contractors. The Wall Street Journal also reported in 2020, another company was selling location data to federal agencies for immigration enforcement. That's clever, eh? Yeah, we are the uh, Border Patrol. Yeah, we're looking for people, illegal people. Can you please give us... Do you have a data set for illegal people? Oh, you do? Oh, lovely. We would love their home addresses and their workplaces. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Monetized data. Thank you. Thank you for that data. Very helpful. Oh, you have Muslims? Great. We'll take the Muslim database, please. How much for the Muslim database? Thank you. Thank you very much. A Catholic news outlet also used location data from a data vendor to out a priest who had frequented gay bars. Though it's still unknown what company sold that information. Many firms promise that privacy is at the center of their business and that they're careful to never sell information that can be tracked back to a person. But researchers studying anonymized location data have shown just how misleading that claim can be. The truth is, it's hard to know all the ways in which your movements are being tracked and traded. Companies often reveal little about what apps serve as sources of data they collect what exactly the data consists of and how far it travels to piece together a picture of the ecosystem. The markup reviewed the websites and marketing language of each of the 47 companies, as well as any information they revealed about how the data got to them. And it's a, it talks about how the data leaves your phone and how it leaves your phone is those free apps that you're playing, those games that you think are free, they're collecting your data. And they're selling the data to these data brokers. And then the data brokers sell it to people who want to track Muslims or immigrants or illegal and whatnot. And or, you know, people who are suspected of being gay priests. And they make money. So you they pay you for your if you're a little game app that's giving your game away for free. You want to give it away for free because you want to get as many people as possible because you're selling the data. So you want a lot of users. That's why you give the app away for free. And then you sell all of that user data that you collect to the data brokers. And then the data, then you, you know, you wipe your hands. We're all, our job's done here. We got paid. And they're going to sell that data however they want, but we don't, we don't know what they're going to do. How, how are we supposed to know that you're, you know, uh, you know, being sought out by the uh, intelligence agencies? So it, this this whole article is a look into that whole shady industry. And, and the, per- you know, Tyler, one second, just quickly. one, yeah, one second. The person at the start of the article was exactly right, which is the only reason this still exists is whenever the government finds out that this exists, of course, the government agencies, like the border patrol knows this exists because they're customers and the CIA and the uh, FBI, they know this exists because they're customers of these, you know, Products and services, and yet the you know our our lovable geriatric friends on Capitol Hill have no clue this is going on, and that's why it's not being regulated, as that person said at the start of the article. Go ahead.
5: You know, Tyler, all the big car companies they use this data to launch, like you know, it's just that they do not use this directly. They have they, it's like money laundering, layer over layer. But at at some point of time, their marketing campaign beat Hyundai, BMW, everyone. So if someone is walking via BMW showroom, so Hyundai and all the other car companies would know. So this is happening for like last through three years. Of course, they do not directly use this, but they use it.
0: Yeah. Okay. Next up, uh, that's the day the twelve billion dollar location data industry. The next one is USB. Uh, The USB forum issues new USB certification logos that show if a cable supports 60 watts or 240 watts. So you won't be confused when you plug in a 60 watt cable to try and use it as a power cable for your MacBook. And then you think it doesn't work. It does. It's only a 60 watt cable. And you need to know if it's a 240 watt cable or a 60 watt cable. Now they're going to put logos on all, all new cables. And then The Verge has an article, a look at the rise of employee dissent at Apple, including pushback against returning to the office, fighting for pay equity and increasing leaks. And Which The Verge is all too happy to assist in all of those things. All too happy to assist in uh, helping those leaks get out. All too happy about help, helping... Uh, exacerbate the any kind of anguish they can cause to Apple, which is going to come back and bite them in the ass. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. um, somebody named Alex on Twitter says, we mock Apple's PR strategy here and there of being impossible to reach, but maybe it, like so many of us, just gave up on email. Anyway, it's uh, I have to imagine the Apples making a note of the Verge's articles here. And it won't be so fast to include them in their future product releases. So the next one from CNBC, the founder of a decentralized finance staking protocol called Compound, begs and issues threats to users, asking them to to voluntarily return $90 million after mistakenly sending them the money about $90 million has mistakenly gone out to the users of popular DeFi staking protocol compound and the founders begging users to voluntarily return the tokens.
15: Would you return the money, Tyler?
0: Hmm.
15: That's what I said. <laughs> I mean, they've asked like people to return the money, which good luck with that.
0: Hmm.
2: Hmm. Double 10.99 or W2, and they'll change their mind.
0: South Korean uh, internet service provider sues Netflix over costs for traffic surge from hit shows. This is a this is all about net neutrality, um, and this is a really interesting concept that South Korea um, suing Netflix over the cost for traffic surge from hit shows because this internet service provider is like, holy shit, Netflix is starting to become singularly, this one app is starting to make up a rather significant portion of traffic for internet service providers in Korea. And so they want to tax Netflix. By the way, so do the internet service providers in America, but that's against the law in America. You can't, That you can't, doesn't work like that. You have to treat all apps, you know, uh, Kind of equally, we can't start policing and charging for uh, on an app by app basis because then the internet, the concept of the internet kind of breaks. So, anyway, this South Korean internet service providers are suing Netflix over the cost for traffic surges from hit shows after a court said Netflix should reasonably pay internet service providers for network usage. And that's the problem when you have judges who don't understand tech and they start making. Uh, rulings that um, could cause real problems down the line for the internet as a as a protocol. So it says, South Korean internet service providers, uh, SK has sued Netflix to pay the costs and the move comes after Seoul Court said Netflix should reasonably give something in return to the internet service provider for network usage and multiple South Korean lawmakers have spoken out against content providers who do not pay for network usage despite generating explosive traffic. Netflix said it will review SK's claims and seek dialogue and explore ways in the meantime to work with SK to ensure customers are not affected. The popularity of the hit series Squid Game and other offerings have un- underscored Netflix's status as the country's second-largest data traffic generator after Google's YouTube. But the two are the only ones to not pay network usage fees, which other content providers such as Amazon, Apple, and Facebook are paying, SK said. Netflix's data traffic, handled by SK, jumped 24 times from 2018 to September and SK said, writing on the success of several Netflix productions from Korea, including Squidnik Game, SK Broadband said it lodged a lawsuit against Netflix for it to pay for using SK's network since Netflix began using SK's dedicated line in 2018. Last year, Netflix had brought its own lawsuit on whether it had any obligation to pay SK for network usage, arguing Netflix's duty ends when creating content and leaving it accessible. It said SK's expenses were incurred while fulfilling its contractual obligations to its internet users. And delivering in the internet world is free of charge as a principle, according to court documents. That's exactly right. That's the whole principle of the internet. Well, there there was
15: a lawsuit between Verizon and Netflix, remember, a few years back. And I think they settled because there are actual network costs uh, to Mm -hmm. all that capacity. And I think Netflix ended up paying Verizon something. So beyond... The net neutrality argument
0: the the sole central district court ruled against netflix in june saying that SK is, is seen as providing a service provided at a cost and it's reasonable for netflix to be obligated to provide something in return for the service sk estimated the network usage fee netflix needed to pay was about 22 million 22.9 million dollars in 2020 alone netflix has appealed against the ruling court records showed, with fresh proceedings to start in late December. Netflix said in a statement on Wednesday that it contributed to the creation of about 16,000 jobs in Korea, stemming from about 770 billion won in investments, as well as economic effect of about 5.6 trillion won. Ruling party lawmaker Kim Sang-hee said on Wednesday that out of South Korea's top 10 data traffic generators, 78.5% of the traffic came from foreign content providers. Up from 73.1 a year earlier, with Google, YouTube, and Netflix that account for the majority turning a blind eye to network usage fees. In the United States, Netflix has been paying a fee to broadband provider Comcast for over seven years for faster streaming speeds. Okay, gotta be careful with that shit. That could break the whole internet. The next one uh, is a wild one from Axios. LinkedIn blocks the profiles of several U.S. journalists in China. And yes, I know what you're asking. LinkedIn works in China? Yeah, uh, I know. That's a little surprising. They're basically the only American tech company that operates in China. But as you are thinking to yourself, gee, I bet LinkedIn has to agree to do whatever the CCP asks with, with, without hesitation and without reason. Uh, on demand yes of course and uh, they're happy to do that because they're you know they want they want that uh, cheddar you know they want to grab that bag you know that big that big juicy market over there in China yeah they're all up for that but you got to do it the CCP's way it's they're running the show over there it's their little casino over there they're calling the shots if you don't like it you know you you could disappear. Your CEO could disappear. <laughs> hey, does your CEO and, like
15: you LinkedIn? is important to China as well for exports and B two B sales and marketing. So you know, China really wants LinkedIn there as well to yeah. it helps them yep. with their supply chain and reaching out and stuff. Yes,
0: so it is strategically valuable for China to have it there. It's kind of unique in that way. as 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 Evan was just making the point. And so LinkedIn is kind of blessed in that China actually wants this U S tech company there. Cause it's a really incredibly valuable kind of uh networking tool. And for expertise, China is obsessed with recruiting all of the uh, top talent from around the world to come work in China, especially if you know anything about six G at the moment, Oh boy, would they love you to come work in China? How about 10 X your current salary? You work where, uh, how much are you making? That's nice. How about 10X? <laughs> and, you know, it, it's it's companies, Huawei can market to all the
15: executives around the world. They're, they're important reasons right. for China.
0: Oh, China has been into this, intellect. I mean, they are all about finding the experts in every category and getting them into China because they that's, it's brilliant. It's utterly brilliant. You get the smartest people there, on there's the a, There's a lot of
15: evidence that state actors are using LinkedIn to like uh, recruit spies and all kinds of shenanigans around uh
0: that too oh you know you work at a company that we want to know everything about you have a lot of access how would you like to make an extra five million dollars a year yeah listen we just need uh you to insert this file on your laptop cool we done great <laughs> the digital yuan's in the mail so um yeah of course they want it linked in there but They also don't want anybody on LinkedIn who's saying anything negative about China or the CCP or Tiananmen Square or any of that stuff. So back to the story, LinkedIn blocked the profiles of several U.S. journalists from LinkedIn's China-based platform this week, citing, quote unquote, prohibited content. And then the person who wrote this article, Bethany Allen at Axios, says that her account was also affected. LinkedIn is one of the only large American social media platforms to agree to the Chinese government's demands to censor content and is tasking its own employees with restricting what users in China can see. If LinkedIn's behavior is normalized, it sends a message to companies across the globe that it is business as usual to enforce Beijing censorship's demands globally says PEN America CEO Susan Nozzle in a statement. This is a flashing red light that unless big tech company firms like LinkedIn owned by Microsoft stand up to censorship, free speech worldwide will suffer. LinkedIn's customer service sent an email on September 27th to the author of this article stating that due to quote unquote prohibited content in the summary section of her profile, the company was blocking her profile being viewable in China. Melissa Chan, a former China correspondent who now works as a journalist in Berlin, posted on Twitter that she also received a similar email the next day on September 28th. Greg Bruno, the author of a book about China's soft power push against the Tibetans, also posted on Twitter the next day on September 20th that he also received an email from LinkedIn. It, and in that email, it cited that the publications section of his profile in which, in which the only publication listed is his book. The LinkedIn profiles of numerous academics, researchers, government employees, and others around the world have been affected in recent months. We're a global platform that respects the laws that apply to us, including adhering to Chinese government regulations for our localized versions of LinkedIn in China, LinkedIn told the author of this article in a statement. For members whose profiles visibility is limited within China, their profiles are still visible across the rest of the globe where LinkedIn is available but LinkedIn did not respond to questions from the author of this article about which content specifically was considered prohibited. And there's a very simple reason for that, because LinkedIn doesn't know. And LinkedIn doesn't care. They're just doing what Uncle G said.
16: So, so Tyler, this, this has been a... Uh, so, if you're in China and you want to open a LinkedIn account, uh, you cannot do it through LinkedIn.com. You have to do it through LinkedIn.cn. So, this stuff has been a firewalling between the two networks, has been going on since 2019. And even last year in 2020 and in 2019, I, I personally know of people uh, who were not able to connect across the two networks because uh, I had a LinkedIn.cn account, which got kicked out. I mean which got deleted. So this has been going on since 2019. It's funny that now it's come to uh, front front-page news, right? But that, I think, is a lot because in the last six months or last four months, because of all the tech crackdowns and all the other stuff that's going on, more journalists are writing critical articles of China, and therefore, there's greater scrutiny on this. But this has been going on for a couple of years now.
0: Yeah, as the article says, you know, there's this crazy game with tech companies that want to play in, in China. It says the Chinese government has long pushed U.S. Internet companies to censor in order to remain in China's huge market. But many but many U.S. companies initially refused. As a result, the websites of Facebook, Twitter, YouTube and Instagram have long been blocked in China. Uh, although Facebook was willing to do whatever China wanted. Um And comply, as LinkedIn is doing, with whatever China wants. But China just didn't uh, ultimately want uh, Facebook in there. They wanted their own version of Facebook, essentially. Same with Twitter and YouTube and Instagram. So uh, it says, in February 2014, LinkedIn agreed to China's demands for a filtered version of its professional networking platform. And in exchange, LinkedIn became one of the few U.S. social media companies with significant operations there. In 2019, LinkedIn had 44 million users in China, making it LinkedIn's third largest user base after the US at 150 million users and India with 52 million users. In March of this year, China's internet regulators pushed LinkedIn for failing to censor political content on its China-based platform, suspending new signups for a month and requiring the company to submit a self-review to the authorities. Three months later, by the way, Uh, That's an interesting move right there. So China felt that LinkedIn wasn't removing the content that China had asked them to remove. China uh, expressed its authority by um, suspending new signups for a month. Now, this is interesting for two reasons. Because America is trying to figure out how to force Facebook to be a good actor. Could, face, could America do the same and say, hey, Facebook, uh, until you fix your problem on Instagram, no more new young ladies are going to be able to create new accounts.
16: Yes. By the way, Tyler, American Express and MasterCard won't be allowed to issue credit cards until they fix their problem in India.
0: Correct. New the, cards, it's very, very similar in India with MasterCard, where India told MasterCard you fix the data storing issue and you're, you can no longer create new accounts until you fix the issue. And but here's the other question: Is from a technical basis, how could the country be given the per, the keys to enforce that? You see what I'm saying? So we need a system admin to answer that question.
7: Tyler, couldn't yeah. they take a snapshot of of you know point in time and then charge them back if they don't comply?
0: Yeah, you could find them, uh, but ultimately. Uh, I think you're going to want to have your keys to, you want to be able to take the keys to the car away and to be able to express your authority. So I I imagine that was part of the conditions of setting up there is, ultimately, we've got a shiny red button over here, uh, over at CCP headquarters to turn you off or to freeze new accounts. And that in itself is a really interesting uh, thought. Um, And they're using it they froze their accounts because they weren't complying. And now we've got, because we talked the first story of the day was this Senate hearing with Facebook and Facebook's all very hot under the collar yet again with Facebook and how, you know, is it, it's bad for users and blah, blah, blah. And you need to fix this or else, or else, or else, or else. And you know, next year you'll come back and we'll tell you again, you got to fix it or else. So, What if there was an off switch where the government could be like, "Hey, uh, we don't like how it's going over there. We're hitting the pause button on all new accounts until you fix the issue. Come back next month and show us that you fix the issue." I mean, that's what China did. So that's efficient as all hell. That's that's just I mean, the U.S. technically
6: can do that, right? I mean, first under certain circumstances, the U. Like um, the U.S. government could do that. It's just, we have to work through the courts. We can't, we don't have an authoritarian government that can, right now, Um, but um, we don't have one that can come in and just uh, without any process. Like that's the efficient part there, right? Is that there's no process. Someone can just decide and do it. Um, In the US, like say, you know, like our obscenity laws and things like that. So if if there's um, something that triggers it, and you have to make your way like someone can act and then they, you make your way through the court system, figuring out if the action was correct or not, et cetera. Um, and uh, the biggest issue, though, is that companies often will get injunctive relief if it's not blatant, which means if you say uh, like if say the FCC says you are no longer to use, um, you know, interstate wires. Uh, if unless you fix this problem. That's that's pretty much how they would do it. They can't say continue operating, but hold your accounts or whatever. That's what they would say is you can't use um, the uh, interstate wire system, which means they couldn't actually do anything, but they would say, okay, you, you do this. Then the, the Facebook would then immediately go to court filing for um, uh, both a temporary and then doing more stuff to get a permanent injunction to stop the government from actually acting on that stop them from preventing them to from using the wires, then it goes to court. So the whole process is it could be expedited on some level or sorry, expedited on some level. But for the most part, it's just a much longer process. So we do technically have a process for that. It's just not uh, like unless it's, um, you know, national emergency or state emergency or whatever. There's there isn't a way like that to, to stop
0: it. And so, but what's interesting is the very next headline from Bloomberg: Nigerian President Buhari says a four-month ban on Twitter will be lifted on condition it is used for business and positive engagements. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> oh. No, wh- which means what? No more talking. Hey, hey, hey! What what are you tweeting about? This is this platform is just for business and positive engagements. What what are you doing? What are you doing, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls of Twitter, Twitterland here in Nigeria? Hear ye, hear ye! This is henceforth uh, exclusively for business and positive engagements. How the how's that going to work exactly? No more negative no. engagements. No more non-business. No more showing your fucking breakfast, Dave.
10: The, mo- the most is, important thing
0: this is this is about business and positive engagement. Stop being a debbie downer on your Twitter. This is about positive engagements here on Twitter. This is coming from the prime minister or sorry the president of Nigeria. Twitter uh, will uh, you know as they're going to end the four month ban on Twitter and the, the it'll be lifted on the condition that Twitter's used for business, not your cereal, not taking photos of your dinner and positive engagements. No more, no more negative engagements, Dave. You and all your negative yeah. tweets. None well, of that.
10: Um, considering it's Nigerian Independence Day as well, like um, I think the, one of the main things was um, secession. So there's a lot of people talking about that on Twitter, especially since NSARS, which was 20 days from today in October, so October 20th um last year and so there's a lot there was a lot of talk and especially on clubhouse as well there's a lot of those rooms that go on and people talking about splitting up nigeria and there's just this uh big um dissension sort of thing like i I wouldn't say it's big but um those are the loudest people um that are usually on twitter and even in the twitter spaces as well like with people that actually use vpn so it doesn't really affect many people but um yeah, um, it's, it's interesting. I want to see how this goes.
0: It says Nigerian president ordered a ban on Twitter to be lifted on condition that the social media platform is used for business and positive engagements. Now, this gets very uh, interesting as well. What if countries like Nigeria, who recently tried to ban Twitter and found out that it was actually quite difficult to do so because he didn't have his little dashboard like uh, Uncle Xi does over there in Beijing? where he shut down signups for LinkedIn for one month, right? And like India did with MasterCard, where they shut down all new signups for MasterCard. In India, Nigeria said, ah, we're banning Twitter, and then realized, ah, shit, we don't have a button to actually stop it. We're just going to brutalize people we catch using it. Good luck with that. So, perhaps in the future, countries will tell big apps India could tell Twitter, hey, Twitter, yeah, we've been thinking, we want you to make us a little uh, dashboard where we can shut your shit down with one click. Give us the keys to turn your whole platform on and off at will, and also to, to turn off new signups so we can leave the platform on, and we can just turn off new signups as a stage one punishment. And other possible stages of punishment and ultimately just turn the whole bloody thing off, you know, in the case that there's a revolution. I
15: I think there might be some value for that in Western democracies. I mean, I I think France has something like that where you can't use social media for a few days before or after election. Maybe I'm wrong, but I could see some value in that feature.
10: (laughs) One of the main things also, like that was actually a really good point because another point was um, the elections were tampered with by Russia, I believe. Like There were reports of that as well. So um, the government doesn't really know what to do in certain situations. So it's necessary to have a reign of these things because people don't know whether they're being used or not. And, you know, citizens are just citizens at the end of the day. They say what they say and they see what they see. They don't think about the global implications of what they're doing and they shouldn't need to but at the same time the government has to right so yeah the world stage is a big place isn't it so
5: we'll see what happens and there is a problem which needs to be solved which Evan also mentioned like in India also uh, in a lot of elections there are uh, Twitter's flood from Pakistan and neighboring countries which basically do not have any interest and foot on ground but they affect uh, the, the oh. whole Process of election there they swing a lot with all the fake news being peddled in so there there is a uh, angle of uh, authoritarianism but but there is an angle a significant angle of uh, outside party meddling into into the affairs
0: so I'm wondering if Russia might soon uh, like recently some countries are forcing them to put actual physical employees on the ground as their means of coercion this this is a far better solution you don't have to put people on the ground here you just have to give us the keys to shut this thing down
10: the global nation of the internet right or continent whatever you want to call it uh, there's a lot of people and a lot of actors and we've seen even through just the past two weeks of tech news how much um people from other countries mess up with other people's elections and stuff like that. Yeah. Trying to keep
0: it PC, but yeah. Yeah. Super interesting thought here. Okay. So, the next one is um VentureBeat has an article. The headline reads Interviews with women pioneers of AI ethics teams on whether ethical AI work is possible at Big Tech and how to set these teams to be successful. I think a lot of people will find that one kind of interesting. So we're tweeting that one out to the Tech News Twitter account at TNATW. And Wired has one headline here that says, Investigation finds 45 criminal cases that cite Google geolocation data obtained via geofence warrant to place suspects inside Capitol during January 6th riots. Let's have a looky-loo at this one. A court document suggests the FBI has been using controversial geofence search warrants at a scale not publicly seen before, collecting account information and location data on hundreds of devices inside the Capitol during the deadly invasion by right-wing mob on January 6th. While Google receives over 10,000 geofence warrants for location data in the U.S. each year, Those covering the capital breach appear to have been particularly productive, apparently enabling the FBI to build a large searchable database in its hunt for the rioters. Geofence warrants are intended to locate anyone in a given area using digital services. Google has been the target for many geofence warrants because its location technologies, which leverage GPS, Wi-Fi, Bluetooth signals to pinpoint a phone within a few yards, are powerful and widely used. Indeed, Uh, Well, as it says, investigators can and do serve warrants on phone companies because, as it says, however, cell phone towers can only locate phones within about three quarters of a mile. While court documents suggest that the FBI collected cell tower records for thousands of devices that were inside the Capitol during the riot. Google's data offers a much higher degree of accuracy than even the cell phone towers because your device has Bluetooth which has even a much shorter range, and it has Wi-Fi. And if your phone touched any Wi-Fi router, then that Wi-Fi router knows where you were. And if you've got multiple Wi-Fi routers, they can triangulate you very accurately, even far better than the cell phone towers can. And that's why they're um, doing geo, you know, uh, geofence search warrants from Google because Google has the most accurate data, and they can pinpoint you actually. At the Capitol, at the moment how of the do how do, you,
14: how do you define contact the network? Do you have to log on or it just has no, to, recognize to recognize your phone? Oh, cool.
0: The use of geofence search warrants was first reported by the Washington Post, and others have previously noted specific instances of an investigations that use Google geolocation data, but Wired has found 45 federal criminal cases that cite geo, Google geolocation data to place suspects inside the U.S. Capitol on January 6th, including at least six where the identity of the suspect appears to have been unknown to the FBI prior to the geofence warrant. One of these involved a serving Chicago police officer. Here's the quote. I'm terribly concerned about the potential for misuse of that technology, says Ari Waldman, a professor of law and computer science at Northwest Northeastern University. Even if I think staging a coup against a Democratic government is abhorrent, it doesn't mean that I constitution that constitutional privacy protections shouldn't be in place. In fact, court documents refer to two geofence warrants relating to the January 6th, one of which a governing filing seems to say was served even as the riot was raging. They were immediately sealed and are unlikely to be made public for years. However, a close reading of hundreds of court filings revealed that both the secretive geofence warrants and further Google-focused geolocation warrants delivered a wealth of information about dozens of suspects. Geofence warrants are essentially a fishing expedition. Investigators know roughly where and when a crime was committed and want to find out who might have been there at the time as this would normally include innocent people and bystanders google reviews law enforcement to go through a three-step process that to access that information.
2: Tyler, didn't you cover a case where a gentleman was riding his bike in the scene of a crime and then he got like called in two or three years later because of this?
0: I'm sure that happens very regularly. I mean when there's crime, <laughs> this just this is just the normal order of policing. In America in 2021, and um, and by the way, it's we we could tell even crazier stories of what happens in China because they already know where you are at all times. They don't need to subpoena this data. So, in the case of um, policing today, when there's any kind of crime and they're trying to figure out who's involved, this is just regular hygiene. This is just happening all the time. It's like, oh, crime happened at location X at time Y. Call the phone companies, call Google, subpoena the data. We need who was at all we need to know all the devices that were at this location at this time. Thank you very much. That's this is just how it's done.
14: So so what you're saying is that Gary Hart will be the last politician to challenge the media with catch me if you can.
7: Ooh.
15: <laughs> I think I'm the only one who remembers that reference.
14: I do too.
15: I do too. Oh good. We're old.
7: Well, yes, well, if it's yes. so great, why haven't we um, released a list of uh, Epstein's uh, yeah. partners and buddies?
0: Well, now you know why he had an island.
7: <laughs> <laughs>
12: you have an island, Tyler, right? Now you People know why have I have
0: an island.
7: <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, having an island with, with out of the range of cell phone towers uh, has its advantages. So a geofence warrant initially seeks to anonymize list of device tracking within a specific area at a specific time. Investigators then use that list to focus on tracks that look suspicious and can ask Google to widen the time or geofence boundaries on those devices. Finally, investigators can go back to Google to unmask the real name, email, phone number, and other information of just a few of the account holders. Courts have, can and have, albeit very rarely, denied geofence warrant requests that are overly broad. But where a typical geofencing fishing expedition might catch only one or two suspects, the January 6th investigation appears to have landed a net full. This is all just very obvious stuff about how they're catching the people at the Capitol. And I mean, the, for, for geeks who understand tech, when the January sixth was occurring. This was exactly what was going through our minds the, you Id, Do you idiots not know what you, that your devices are in your pocket are going to get you caught? Do you not know this? That's what I was, wonder if I wonder go ahead that That was precisely the thought screaming in my head as they were you know riding at the capitol.
14: So more contemporary reference. Matt Gates didn't sleep well last night.
0: So um, anyway, this a real, I'll share the article for those who want to do more. I only read the first little bit of that one from Wired and the Capitol Riots. So there, that one goes to the Tech News Twitter account. And next up. Um, I, I'm sorry to yes. interrupt. Go ahead.
8: You seem um, it didn't be tweeted from the beginning until the last article. I'm sorry? Under the techni- I mean the under the tech news around the world, the tweet account when you said that you are gonna tweet it. Which and one? I did. Um, from the Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn. You, you you want one. the
0: Facebook, Instagram? No, well,
8: I mean I mean uh after the MA's video, the Justin Taylor's and then you tweeted the. Uh, for your iPhone location data, then and the Evans.
0: Yes, tell me which one you want, and I'll make sure it's there. Which one do you want?
8: And for example, the LinkedIn, LinkedIn You want China. the LinkedIn
0: one? Okay, here it goes.
8: Mm-hmm. Oh, thank you.
0: Mm-hmm. So there
16: it goes. Two- but but I can see the Facebook one and a couple of the other tweets. Yep. That you've done.
0: Yeah. I, when we're doing the top stories as we've been doing for the last hour, I don't tweet them. When we now get into the tweets that everyone sent in, I do tweet them.
8: Oh, thank you. Because you said you're going to tweet it. I didn't see the notification. Thank you.
0: Sure. So next up is a whole bunch of fundraisings. Um, Cred Avenue, an online marketplace for companies seeking loans, raises $90 million. Active Surgical, which makes hardware agnostic software for minimally invasive surgical systems, raises $45 million. Forda, a security service aimed at smart contracts being spun out by a blockchain cybersecurity startup, raises $23 million. Um, Sweden's Cinch acquires Pathfire, a cloud-based email provider, for $1.9 billion in cash and stock. And startups in Latin America raised a record 6.5 billion in the first half of 2021, up from 4 billion for all of 2020. So they're on track to double 2020 in 2021, which is great. And Intel unveils a neuro linguistic computing chip, a second generation neuromorphic computing chip, and an open source framework for developing neuro inspired applications. And they believe these neuromorphic computing chips um, are—I uh, mean, they're wild. This is like true, truly crazy stuff. So I'm going to share. I
2: don't—I don't know if Cammy's here, but she was talking about this yesterday, and she—I think she was asleep last night.
0: I just tweeted that one out. So that's the popular uh, headlines that you know the pedestrians uh, are sharing on Twitter at the moment. And so now we can get into the fun tweets that all of us here on stage and in the audience have been sharing since we met last time, like this one uh, that Poppy shares from uh, about an autonomous robot tank. It's like a, a very childlike sized tank. It looks like, a, like somebody put a tank in a shrinking machine and shrunk a tank down to the size of a dog, like a large dog and so this autonomous tank robot may have already killed people here's how the weapons could be more destabilizing than nukes is the is the article and what's going on here twitter why do you think i'm not logged in here okay here we go okay there it goes tweeted that one out you got to see this cute little miniature tank and i recall this photo this is the israeli autonomous robot tank that they're planning to use at the at the borders and uh, it's wild and the headline says this autonomous robot may have already killed people the next one also from poppy uh, says alibaba is developing and testing its level four autonomous truck really nobody's at true level four yet but they're claiming level four level four is good enough to operate on public roads. And so Alibaba is developing and testing. It's a level four autonomous truck for city logistics based on the large scale application of its last mile logistics vehicle, according to company executive. And you got to go to the Twitter account to see this Alibaba's L4 autonomous truck for delivery. It's gorgeous. This is the most beautiful one I've seen. And we've seen a lot of these. And, this vehicle format, again, it looks like a, a childlike truck and not a truck, but a van. It looks like a tiny van, the size of a small horse, like a pony. And, um, it's a self-driving little delivery vehicle filled with a bunch of little deliveries and packages and it drives, it can drive on sidewalks and, uh, it can drive right up to your house, scan your face, open his door, get your package. Have a great day, sir. Thank you for using Alibaba. So it's uh it's what a what a beautiful looking autonomous vehicle that is. Next one uh, is a more photos of these devices and a different headline it says Alibaba's self driving robots deliver over one million orders. Alibaba's self driving robots, the ones I just was talking about, there's a new article about those same ones. It's the same vehicle from different angles and it shows a warehouse full of these uh, autonomous. Uh, m- pony-sized four-wheeled delivery vehicles. And it, the headline is that Alibaba's self-driving robots deliver over one million orders. So it's already happening, y'all. They've already replaced the humans from doing the last-mile deliveries because they've done over one million orders already. Checkmate. Checkmate. You want to unionize? How about you just go home and and we won't send you any more job opportunities anymore? Oh, you want to get paid more? How about zero? How's zero sound? Does zero sound good? How about you turn off that app, throw away your phone, and forget you ever heard of us? We're done with you. It's been fun. Thank you for filling in for the robots while we got them underway. We'll take it from here. It's been fun. It's been real. Learn to plant vegetables or you're gonna to starve to death. Ta-ta.
4: <laughs> Only one problem with that is who's going to buy the products?
0: The people who have jobs.
4: Yeah, but I mean and on macro on the atom.
0: Your point your point is there's this the automation's gonna replace a lot of people. It is. Tons right. of people. Right. And I think there's a lot of geeks who don't want to, who don't believe that yet, who haven't carefully considered all the factors that we do in this room every day, based on everything we're seeing every day, it's going to replace a shit ton of people, like a whole lot it's of gonna be,
2: It's going to be pitchforks really soon for those of us with jobs.
0: So what I'm encouraging is we need to start introducing the critical, critical narrative that these jobless people who are soon to be evicted out of their apartments because they can't pay next month's rent. And we're talking millions of people this month. Millions. Now. Not in some imaginary future. effing now. We've, we've read the headlines in recent days. Millions of people this month. Not next quarter. Not next year. This month. These people can't afford rent. They're facing evictions. Millions of people. In America alone, now, these people, a hundred years ago, would have known how to farm, but because we've industrialized and living in cities, these people were never taught how to farm they don't know they've never grown anything, and that's very unfortunate because now they don't know how to feed themselves, and I think that's what these millions and millions i mean we're talking lots of millions, tens of millions of people that are going to become unemployable, basically, are going to need to be self-sufficient rather than be a um, dependent on the generosity of the government that can't support them. They're going to need to become self-sufficient. And they don't, they're not going to be employable. So they need to self-employ somehow. And at, at a, at, as a bare minimum, I think schools very quickly need to start teaching farming and i think to 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 be eligible for government assistance of any kind you're going to need to go take a class on farming
15: i would i would add all trades so farming plumbing ac solar panel because you know it's it's really the trades you know farming is, is one of those but we don't teach any of that anymore at scale, so it's it's yeah, really important.
10: no, you can literally learn how to do hydroponic and vertical farming like pretty fairly easily. Like, yeah, there's so many videos can. on YouTube, and then you get your solar panels, and you know, you have your generator if you need it, and yeah, you can have an ecosystem. The only problem that I see is the waterways because I, I know yep. at least here we're not allowed to collect water, so yep. there's going to have to be a thing with that.
0: Yep. Well, there's air, air. So the hippies were right yeah well the more so the Amish but yes the um your point about water is that the talk to Vinay Vinay is quite well connected with these atmospheric water collectors that are becoming a very real thing now you can get these 50 liter uh you know hy- hydro water generating schemes that uh they're quite economical you could have a you know a decent you can get a 2 200 liter per day you could, you could do well with 200 liters per day that that will service most houses
2: there's actually water to power solutions that I'm kicking around right now I'm actually going to go found a new company probably next week so, focused on AWG and harvesting water
0: so the next one is kind of related from uh, Tesla secures biggest ever order six gigawatt hours for a Megapack batteries in the United States. The question is where, which, ooh, this could be a fun tech news jeopardy. Leading American renewable energy company Aravon has just made a two gigawatts, six gigawatt hour order for Tesla Megapack battery battery units in the U.S., believed to be the largest single battery storage order in the world. The order is designed to support the growing of utility-scale solar and storage installations for Aravon, which was created just one month ago through the combination of Capital Dynamics, U.S. Clean Energy Infrastructure Team, and the Aravon Asset Management. The company is now 100% owned by an investor group comprised of APG, uh, a particular state's teacher retirement system, <laughs> Tech News Jeopardy coming in 54321. And the order comes just days after Tesla and French renewable energy developer Neoen announced that the case of the fire in the two megapacks unit in Vic- Victoria in July has been identified and the problem rectified. And they now had regulatory approval to commission the 300 megawatt, 450 megawatt hour Victorian big battery. And to put the single order in context, Australia currently has seven operating big batteries in its main grid with total storage of just over 500 megawatt hours. And they say this is looking at creating a standalone clean energy platform of 4.5 gigawatts of operating under construction and late-stage development solar and battery storage projects. And it will utilize Tesla Megapack Master Supply Agreement to build out its Falcon Portfolio. Consisting of an the forefront, we are planning. It okay, so the question is, where is this? Where are they going to put this? Which which city municipality is going to go into lithium battery storage? It appears to be California because the it's uh, according to the September 2020 planning, Falcon consists of nine battery storage projects in California, which will begin coming online in in the early middle of 2022. I guess it's California because also one of the other investors is the California uh, Teachers Union. So looks like it's California. Mm, So tweeting that one out. Thank you, Poppy. The next one is also related to Tesla and this whole energy thing. It says, the headline says, it's from Top Gear. It says, watch out, Tesla. The Lucid Air is finally in production. And that means it's time to compare... The Tesla and the Lucid Air. Now that Lucid Air has rolled off the assembly line, they're going to start uh, doing a little dipstick measuring contest and uh, see who's got who's who's got better performance and whatnot. So good. We need more competition in that space. Keep the prices down. And we covered the LinkedIn in China, bruhaha. And then somebody sent in this one from I, Vinay. Did you send in this one about the Philippines? Taxman probes 250 social media stars Who was this This is a really interesting one Vinay I'm pretty sure this was you It was you
5: Tyler uh, can we spend some time on the the autonomous robot thing In a because minute I have a slightly yeah, In
0: a minute So Vinay did you send in this South yeah, China? I,
16: I yes. did I did I did sorry I was trying to get off bluetooth Yeah it's interesting the Philippines Taxman is going to go after the top social media influencers in the country for all the sponsorships, the freebies, the in-kind, and the money that they're making off social media and and make it taxable income. Because their tax revenues are down because of the pandemic. So they're going after them in a big way, the top 300.
0: Yeah. The Philippines is the, of all the, you know, a lot of countries make money from tourism, Philippines, most of all, statistically, makes the largest percentage of its, is the most dependent on tourism for its economy, which is gone. So uh, they're, they have the lowest tax collection uh, of anybody on a percentage basis this year because their biggest, um, you know, one of their biggest industries gone this year, which is tourism. So now they're going to tax, it says the Philippines taxman probes 250 social media stars seeking revenue for COVID-19 battered economy. They've launched the investigation into the 250 social media stars, clarifying their tax obligations and warning them that freebies received in return for promotional services are also liable to tax. As it seeks to revive the COVID-battered economy, Manila also plans to raise taxes on offshore gaming companies. But critics say a focus on the country's billionaires would be more bountiful. Indeed, it would. <laughs> I think going after TikTok influencers might not re- get you as much as you hope it will. A Tyler, related think, to this. But, um, sorry,
16: it, oh, go ahead, Vinay. Sorry, I was just saying. But all it takes is one country to start this, and then you know, like many other things, yep. others are going to start getting ideas. Hmm, we can do this as well. Let's go after it, right? My God, so, but, we've seen this happen in so many other things.
0: If if the if Russia starts taxing the Russian Instagram, you know. Models, oh my lord! Instagram in in Russia is a a very big thing, with these, you know, Russian ladies who try and look very, you know, Instagramable. And my goodness, are they trying to do all of these sponsorship deals that they could? Russia could double its GDP if they start taxing those Instagram influencers.
4: So, hey Tyler, yes. related to this, their um, Philippines government's actually going to start taxing the Axie Infinity. Uh, crypto game oh really well. yeah so i sent, sent in that article that's funny on, uh, because
0: well. axie just put out a headline last week that they just passed two billion dollars in sales
4: right so they're gonna tax all the people now in the philippines and that, that are playing. yeah game.
0: i i can imagine how that played out that headline came across somebody's news feed and the tax collector was like hang on a second you you sold how much of of some kind of commodity, some kind of asset of some digital asset of two billion dollars worth of what? Where is our tax? <laughs> uh and where is this Axie Infinity company based? And they looked it up and they're like, oh, you're based where? Uh which is a very good question. Where is we had somebody in here from Axie Infinity.
3: It's based in Vietnam.
0: Ah. That would explain it. Okay, so next up is uh, we got the Philippines tax one. The next one is there's a multi-billion dollar market for your phone's location data. We covered that one. Thank you. And BB sends in this one from Reuters. What is behind China's power crunch? We've been wanting to know ourselves. China is in the grip of a power crunch As coal supply shortages combined with strong power demand for manufacturers, industry, and households push coal prices to record highs and trigger widespread curbs on usage, climate watchers have been at pains to say Beijing's tougher environmental curbs are not to blame for the current energy crunch. Indeed, China has focused on cutting power consumption, not coal output. Instead, China's heavily controlled Power pricing system prevents its generators from passing on their soaring coal cost to customers, leaving them with no choice but to suffer losses or reduce output. How long has there been a power supply problem in China? China has often struggled to balance supply and demand with central planners often underestimating demand growth, leaving many provinces at risk of power cuts during the summer and winter peak consumption seasons. This year, a perfect storm of factors, including some coal supply disruptions and surging demand from industries and households, have caused power shortages throughout the country. However, the country's rigid pricing system is seen as a major culprit. One of China's most power supply One of China's worst power supply crises took place in the winter of 2010 and 11, when fierce snowstorms disrupted coal supplies and damaged power transmission infrastructure. However, power plants concerned about their profitability made the shortages worse by running down their stockpiles in order to produce to prolong price negotiations with coal suppliers. Oh, that's nice. Though China has since allowed power tariffs to fluctuate if coal costs reach a certain level struggling generation, struggling generators are still not at liberty to raise prices in a timely manner in order to avoid losses. Some policymakers warned in 2019 that China needed to build more coal-fired power plants in order to head off power shortage risks over 2021 to 2025 period, but existing generation capacity has remained heavily underutilized, suggesting that many plants lack the economic incentives to go back to boost output. The recent shortages have come about despite Beijing's efforts to curb heavy industrial power usage. Provincial authorities in Inner Mongolia and Guangdong have both ordered industries, including energy intensive aluminum smelters, to reduce electricity use. However, it has revealed that 10 provinces and regions, including major coal producers like Inner Mongolia, had still failed to meet existing energy efficiency targets in the first half largely as a result of post lockdown recovery that analysts that analysts say relied on energy intensive heavy industry. But despite the curbs China's total power generation through August twenty twenty one was still ten percent greater than the same period in twenty twenty, and nearly fifteen percent more than the same time in twenty nineteen, as utilities across the country cranked up power to meet surging industrial demand. Which industries what has been Beijing's response to the power crunch? The N- the NDRC said on Friday it will work to resolve the power shortages but did not provide any specific details. One major near-term challenge for Beijing is its ongoing trade dispute with Australia, the world's second-largest coal exporter, which has greatly curbed coal shipments to China just as local authorities stepped up safety standards that have slowed down production at China's coal mines following a series of accidents. A senior official in northeast China's Jilin province urged authorities to try and source more coal from Mongolia, Russia, and Indonesia in order to address the supply gap. Another factor is the global shortage of natural gas as a number of major economies look to stock up on fuel simultaneously following the easing of the COVID-19 restrictions. So there you go.
2: Nuclear time. <laughs>
0: yeah.
8: That, that nuclear power plant, uh, it's not in... I can, in Western news media. But it is said early this year in Guangzhou, there was a leak. But of course you won't see to. to wow. Yeah, so also- like call for help. But <laughs> yeah, it's it's we, we have some, just like say we have local forums. So sometimes our friends in China or working work in China, they will say, what's uh, on there, they, they will have some like a pamphlet or something, or they will tell you, oh, you are gonna uh, out of electricity tonight or something, but you won't see that in the public. So it said there was a leak, but eventually they solved it. So if you want to build more nuclear power plant in China, there have other issues about that.
0: Okay. And
2: Tyler, can we check the hand raise? Uh, Doctor Danish has got something burning.
0: Sure, we can. Here we go, Doctor Danish. What's up?
1: Hey, I want so... to congratulate him for the room just now. It was fantastic. I got a lot, a lot of bad channels saying that they are they are so happy that you you're on the show. Thank you, Doctor Danish.
17: Hey, thanks, Cheryl. Oh, no, I was going to mention Tyler. Really, really, really big news. Um, so, Mark, their oral antiviral uh the news is out it uh they just put a press release out this morning at 6 a.m it reduces risk of hospitalization or death by 50 percent
0: so so you're saying wait 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 uh, wait. so you're saying it's better than ivermectin
17: it is (laughs) yeah yeah Uh, so people were fighting for ivermectin for a proposed belief of one-fifth of that or less uh even the data that they had was proving that. And so, uh, except for one study that was then retracted, the rest of the studies showed that even if we were going to have a benefit, we were looking at that. This is 50% reduction in hospitalizations or deaths. It was such a good result uh, that an independent committee reviewed the data and said it would be unethical for us to continue to do... Phase three clinical trial data was so positive that they said that, and this is very common. They said that at interim analysis we need to go for EUA immediately. And what is incredible is that Merck, unlike every other large pharmaceutical company, has really put uh, access at the top of its agenda, and they already have pre-orders ready to go. So this is now coming out probably expected to be everywhere. This is the new Tamiflu for COVID. I don't wanna oversell it. There's still yeah. we're gonna see how it does in a very public forum and how it does once it's out there. But for people, um, I've gotta <laughs> say this is a unexpected and a very, very huge deal, yeah. in my opinion. I would love to hear from others. Uh, so I've got
0: the yeah, um, yeah this is John. Yeah. John, can Go I ahead. I wanna read the New York Times article that just came out an hour ago about precisely this Merck's experimental oral COVID nineteen antiviral drug called Molnu pirarvar. Holy Jesus. If you Molnu Piravir. Molnu Molnu Are we actually all gonna be saying this for the next several months? Molnu Okay, so that... they'll have a brand name. <laughs> yeah. Molnu Molnu So the drug maker Merck. They're... Are they just trying to fuck with this? This is like an IKEA. Kind of crazy name this thing. The drug maker
14: no, uh, yeah, Merck. No, all, all the, all the just. biologics are named with unpronounceable names and then they get a brand name.
0: Okay. So, just
1: call it Merck pill, easy.
0: The drug maker Merck said on Friday that it would seek authorization for the first antiviral pill for COVID after its drug known as Molnupiravir. Pir-avir. There it is Molnupiravir. Molnupiravir. That's it. That's the Southern California official pronunciation, Molnupiravir.
2: The thing is, uh, John will tell you that the vir means something and every single word means something.
0: (laughs) So it was shown in a clinical trial to cut the risk of hospitalizations or death in half when given to high risk people early in their infections. The treatment could become the first in a wave of antiviral pill products, which experts say could offer a powerful new tool in efforts to tame the pandemic as they could reach more people than the antibody treatments that are being widely used in the United States for similar patients. Here's the quote. I think it will translate into many thousands of lives being saved worldwide, where there's less access to monoclonal antibodies and in this country too, says Dr. Schaefer, an infectious disease specialist and expert at the antiviral therapy at Stanford University. Late stage study results of two other antiviral pills, one developed by Pfizer and another by Atea Pharmaceuticals and Roche, are expected within the next few months. This will be brilliant if we start getting a lot of these. Huh? The Merck drug, which is designed to stop the coronavirus from replicating, is to be taken as four capsules twice a day for five days. Merck said an independent board of experts monitoring and study data had recommended that a trial be stopped early because the drug's benefit to patients had proved so convincing. The, well, I, and that that right there is what the... <laughs> anti-pill uh, people are going to go crazy <laughs> with right there. That yeah. right. So um, the company said that the Food and Drug Administration had agreed with that decision. For the research, the monitors looked at data through early August when the study had enrolled 775 volunteers in the United States and overseas. For volunteers who received the drug, their risk of being hospital- hospitalized or dying fell 50% without any concerning side effects. Say what? When was the last time there was a pill that didn't have side effects? So it's a placebo. Compared with those who received placebo pills. Okay, fair enough. Merck said in a news release announcing, uh, Merck announced the results in a statement that did not include some detailed data from the trial that experts said would be crucial in determining how the drug will be used. 7% of the volunteers in the group that received the drug were hospitalized and none of them died. Compared with 14% rate of hospitalizations and death including eight deaths in the group that received the placebos. What? Yeah, well, of course, you're going to die if you took the placebo. Yeah. But uh, the Merck pill's efficacy was lower than that of monoclonal antibody treatments, which mimic antibodies that the immune system generates naturally when fighting the virus. Those drugs have been in high demand recently, but they are expensive, are typically given intravenously, and have proved cumbersome and labor-intensive for hospitals and clinics to administer. Studies have shown that they reduce hospitalizations and deaths seventy to eighty-five percent in similar high-risk COVID patients. Okay, John.
14: Yeah, this drug was initially developed um, as an anti-influenza drug. Mm. Uh, in attacks, can you hear me? Yeah. Yeah, and it, and it attacks the. Uh, enzyme critical for replication of the virus. So it doesn't target the spike protein itself. It targets the mechanism of replication, which is highly conserved in in viruses in general. And so it's likely to be effective against every existing variant and every future variant. Um, This is a huge game changer. I've been expecting the pandemic to transform into an endemic Late spring, early summer next year. I think this is this is actually going to help um, make that a reality. In that, um, if if it proves out uh, to be as effective and safe as the initial study shows. Um, It is a huge game changer with a couple more uh, in the pipeline, as that article you uh, mentioned. There are a couple more similar drugs targeting similar mechanisms, which would be variant independent um, and huge game changers. The problem with the existing therapy is the uh, monoclonal antibodies have to be given really early and it's expensive and iv and it's taxing the healthcare system because of the infusion um, of an IV drug. Um, this is oral. It's one-third the cost. The cost the, the cost up front implications are huge because you want to give it as early as possible, so a lot of people are going to get it who don't need it at 700 bucks a course of treatment. But if that just prevents... Five or ten percent of them from ending up in the hospital. The payback is huge, even at seven hundred dollars a pop. And uh, the the one caveat is safe and effective. You have to map it back to the sample size. They stopped the study for the reasons that Danish described because it would be unethical to continue giving people a placebo when we know how effective this drug is already. What we don't know is the side effect of profile when you give it to 10,000, 100,000, a million, 3 million people, because it will likely be given to millions of people before the end of the year um, based upon a study of 750 people. So you can anticipate That some people might have a genetic predisposition or a pharmacogenomic, that is the kinetics of the drug metabolism uh, variant, that will lead to side effects undetected in those first 750 people before they stop the study for ethical reasons, good ethical reasons. Um, But this, make no mistake, this is a big game changer. One of the unintended consequences of this is that the anti-vax community is gonna say, see, we don't need the vaccine, we can just take another course of this drug or one of the other ones soon to be out at their clinical trials. So there will be a little bit of a, a downside risk, but overall this is spectacular news. And John, doesn't this also open up the field of
2: other um, you know, viral replication Cessation type products or mitigation type products, things that stop. Absolutely,
14: yeah, this is this is going to be a, an infusion of cash uh, of of capital into sim- drugs with similar mechanisms, particularly because the big problem with the Spanish flu 100 years ago, the big problem with COVID is the mutation into variants that escape. The vaccines, whereas these attack a very highly cons- and and the spike protein, for example, is shown that it can mutate in a million different ways, um, and, and to still be effective, and yet um, stopping replication uh, is a different tactic, which which spans. Past and future variants pretty consistently, so um, it is it is a big shot in the arm for this approach to antivirals.
4: Question: This wouldn't uh, require an EUA, um, or would it? It,
14: it would gonna, require It's, it's going to get an EUA very quickly. Um, there, I'm sure they're scaling production as we speak in a big way, anticipating. Um, a demand they won't be able to catch up with globally uh, for quite some
0: time.
1: Tyler, did you get the DM? Yes. That so you?
0: Cheryl just shared one from NASDAQ. It says Japan's Shionogi to make 1 million doses of new COVID-19 treatment by early 2022. Japan's Shio- Shionogi Uh, said on Wednesday, it plans to make at least 1 million doses of a new antiviral treatment for COVID-19 for domestic use only by March 2022. The company plans to submit the drug, a protease inhibitor known as S217622, for regulatory approval in Japan by the end of the year, chief executive said at the briefing. It started phase two and three trials of the drug in Japan on Monday. The company is also planning global trade, global late stage trials ahead of its filing in the U.S. and Europe. The drug can be taken in pill form and is intended for patients in the early stages of COVID-19 compared with antibody (laughs) treatments that have been infused by medical staff. Yeah.
2: The the thing that doesn't really get mentioned is the impact on the supply chain on vials, on glasses, on needles, on, you know, so a pill form where you don't need some kind of vessel to, to transport it or deliver it is huge. And, you know, like this is so, this is the best news I've heard probably in 500 days.
7: I just Um, want to add that meanwhile, sorry, if I can just add quickly. uh, Meanwhile, in Canada, people are taking such large doses of ivermectin that the hospitals are calling the physicians to give them prescriptions of ivermectin so that they don't take ivermectin that's meant for an animal or an aquarium and things like that. So it's really ridiculous. Good to hear that there's actual alternatives. uh, Tyler,
1: I DM you another one on the... Uh, nasal vaccine
0: spray. Shinogi will start clinical trials for a COVID-19 nasal spray vaccine in 2022, the Japanese pharmaceutical company announced Tuesday, paving the way for an inoculation method that would prevent countries lacking medical staff. Shinogi has licensed agreement with Hanavax to develop a nasal spray vaccine using the Venture's proprietary drug delivery system. The technology uses a a uh, polysaccharide substance to deliver the vaccine through the nose, including immunity in the respiratory system. Under the agreement signed in July, Shinogi has exclusive rights to develop and market a vaccine based on the technology Hanavax was spun out of the University of Tokyo. Okay, yeah, na- nasal
14: vaccines. It. Nasal vaccines will be very helpful because. There are localized immune systems in the upper airway. There's localized immune systems in the lining of the gut. And since this is a predominantly respiratory transmitted disease, having an early warning system in the upper respiratory tract that might not be fully activated by an intramuscular or subcutaneous vaccination is a really good thing. My belief all along has been that for these kinds of viruses, we will likely end up seeing a combination of a, you know, in the end game, a nasal plus a uh, IM or sub Q uh, vaccination because they generate very complementary things. If, you're, if your upper airway recognizes the virus quickly and secretes antibodies that are unique to that, what's called an inflammasome in the upper airway, specifically IgA, as opposed to IgG and IgM, which are the more systemic responses, that could much more rapidly abort the replication of the virus at its portal of entry. So I think this will be a very complementary technology.
7: Tank. I had a
17: non COVID one uh, that I wanted to also share that might be interesting because it's so, it's so fascinating. Uh, I tweeted it out earlier. Uh, did you see the Microsoft True So uh Truvada, just to remind people really quickly, uh, they started uh, collecting patient data. So all these large health systems in the U S came together. Uh, they can't share data with each other, but somehow for the good mighty dollar, they came together and combined all of their data without full informed consent of the patients to actually put it into a data set and start selling it. And guess who just invested in that company, Truvada? It was Microsoft. So the company that literally recently has been under fire for all of these cybersecurity issues now has access to a significant portion of the nation. We're talking about double digit percentage of Americans' healthcare data is now. Under the safe, safe, uh, uh, in the safe, safe arms of Microsoft. I I tweeted it out earlier, Tyler. I I, I honestly can't even believe this right now.
5: What could go wrong? Crazy
17: story.
0: So, Vinay just sent in one about a nasal vaccine, uh, coming out of India called Bharat Biotech's nasal vaccine results are astonishing. We will conduct a comprehensive study. According to the results of the nasal vaccine uh, made by Barat Biotech are astonishing. We have noticed that the nasal form of Covaxin brings instant protection and good amount of antibodies right into the nasal cavity where the virus attacks first. This can stop the virus right at its entry point of the human body. If the second dose is intravascular, it may bring sustainable protection. Awesome. Hey,
1: looks like the... The whole COVID thing is gonna be over soon. Yay.
12: Merck stock is trading at its uh fifty two week high and it's up about ten percent. And Pfizer's down about one and a half percent.
16: I
1: was also looking at Shionogi's uh, stocks just now.
12: <laughs>
14: it yeah. already
1: went up from five thousand plus to I think seven thousand plus.
14: Yeah the the yes, the yes, danger yes. Yeah, the danger of playing this space right now is that there are uh, several competitors that are close to um, the same uh, circuit. Merck was the first to get here, um, but there's several others, as Cheryl mentioned, uh, one in Japan and a couple uh, in the U.S. Um, So a slight advantage of either cost of production or uh, retail cost um, or safety profile Uh, could obsolete any of the early entrants, but uh, the good news is we've got one good enough to go and more on the way. Yeah. And what you
12: found, what you found with Pfizer though, is the government jumps right in and starts purchasing right ahead of time. So even under Trump, they're, they're buying, you know, they're buying and betting on the come that these, that, that they were going to be able to produce, not only invent, but produce and distribute not only the U S but across the world. So I, I think first in really has a huge advantage like Pfizer did with the vaccines.
14: Definitely.
2: There's a SAMS program that's underway. It's it's basically promoting American manufacturing um, and I know that they're hitting really hard right now. Um, we're we're going to become a member of the program um, and so I think you're going to see a lot of domestic production of these uh, therapeutics as well.
0: Okay. Next up from Poppy Taking delivery of Australia's first 2022 Tesla Cybertruck. It's been a long time coming, but we've finally got our hands on a 2022 Tesla Cybertruck. Batteries. Oh, it looks like a toy. Oh, Jesus Christ! That's they were just they're playing games. I can tell by the photo. That's not a full scale truck. Uh, Google is using AI to help explore the topics they're searching for here's how changes are coming to Google search using more ai let's see what they're what they're up to here with using ai in search can you get medicine for somebody at the pharmacy it's a simple enough question for humans to understand says pandu nayak vice president of search at google but search a query But such a query represents the cutting edge of machine comprehension. You and I can see that the questioner is asking if they can fill out a subscription for another person. Uh, But until recently, if you typed this question into Google, it would direct you to websites explaining how to fill your prescription. It missed the subtlety that the prescription was for someone else. Can you get medicine for someone at the pharmacy? the key to delivering the right answer, says Google, um, is AI, which Google is using today to improve its search results. The the prescription query was solved in 2019 when Google integrated machine learning model called BERT into search as part of a new generation of AI language systems known as large language models, the most famous of which is OpenAI's GPT-3. BERT was able to parse the nuances. Of our prescription query correctly and return the right results. Now in 2021, Google is updating the search tools yet again using another acronymized AI system that BERT's successor called MUM, M U M, originally revealed at Google IO event in May, which we watched together in this room during the live stream, and they showcased MUM. MUM is at least a thousand times bigger than BERT, says NIAC, and on the same order of magnitude as GPT 3, which has 175 billion parameters. Mum is also multimodal, meaning it processes visual data as well as text. And it's been trained on 75 languages, which allows the system to generalize from languages where there's lots of data, like English to languages where there's less data, like Hindi, says NIAC. That helps in ensuring that any upgrades it provides are spread across Google's many markets. NIAC speaks of Mum with pride at the latest AI Wonderkin trained on Google's labs blah 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 so they're going to use mom in search okay that's great so the next one is from new scientist uh, that ai is helping us air force to decide which targets to strike the us air force has used ai as part of its kill chain the process of gathering intelligence and directing weapons to destroy a target and the next one's from bb from south china morning post A headache for China's game developers as memo details Beijing's red lines. According to the memo seen by South China Morning Post, games are a new art form that must highlight correct values and an accurate understanding of China's history. Oh, boy. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh.
8: For example, you cannot use the Wendy the Pooler.
0: Well, worse than that. Because uh, according to this, although they could change it In a heartbeat, of course, as they may likely do. Um, New video game approvals dry up in China, as an internal memo shows that developers now have many red lines to avoid. Review of gaming content is getting stricter, and companies will have to stay clear of a long list of red lines if they want approval in the future. Memo shows. According to a memo seen by the Post, games are a new art form that must highlight correct values and an accurate understanding of China's history and culture. The Chinese government has not announced any new licensed video games for August and September. Breaking a tradition of monthly approvals, according to information on a website of Gaming Watchdog, the National Press and Publication Administration. The halt in approvals reflects Beijing's harsher stance on what constitutes appropriate gaming content. And the regulatory net looks set to tighten, according to memo from the recent internal training course organized by China's state-backed gaming association for members, seen by the South China Morning Post and confirmed by several people familiar with the situation who declined to be identified. I wonder why. Regulatory review review of gaming content is getting stricter and companies will have to stay clear of a long list of red lines if they want their games to be approved in the future. The memo reminds China's gaming studios that video games are no longer a political pure entertainment, but a new form of art that must highlight a correct set of Chinese values and accurate understanding of China's history and culture the training course was aimed at helping game developers to understand the new approach in order to secure content approval. According to China's published game review rules, which are general in scope, regulatory reviews look at red flags such as whether a video game violates China's laws, leaks state secrets, propagates superstitions, spreads violence or gambling, or encourages minors to hurt themselves. But according to a memo seen by The Post, implementation of rules is likely to be more specific and much stricter. For example, games depicting a fictitious post-apocalyptic world where players are encouraged to kill may not be viewed favorably by censors. Some Here's a quote. Some games have blurred moral boundaries. Players can choose to be either good or evil, but we don't think that games should be give players this choice, and this must be altered, State states the memo. So you can't be evil. You 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 must not give them the choice to be evil. They must be good players, good characters. The memo also makes it clear that the games about gay romance and effeminate males will likely fall afoul of censors. Uh, so you yeah you won't get you can't have characters that are effeminate uh, if regulators can't tell the characters' gender immediately. The setting of the characters could be considered problematic and red flags will be raised, states the memo. Similarly, a male character dressing and behaving like a woman in a game will also invite questions. History is also a landmine for game developers. Historical elements, including characters, maps, and clothing, should conform with mainstream accounts. Games can't distort facts or deliberately provoke controversy, and historical figures with established narratives must not be refashioned, according to the memo. History simulation games that allow players to change history in virtual worlds will likely ring alarm bells, particularly if Japan and Nazi Germany are involved, according to the memo. The memo also points out that games which encourage players to destroy barbarians could be reviewed for spreading colonialism, Which games, while games featuring Japanese warlords could be seen as glorifying militarism and jingoism. On the subject of Japan, the memo also warns that many current Chinese games now look more Japanese than Japanese games.
1: They really love Japanese manga. They like to call all the brands in in Japanese names too.
0: Religion is another hot topic. The use of the crucifix and swastika should be applied carefully in games, the memo says. The Post reported earlier this month that China had slowed down new game licensing at and the Chinese government issued new rules on August 30th, limiting game time for players, blah, 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 blah. So good times over there to be a game developer in China.
12: So SpongeBob is out, right?
0: I guess the Tian- Tiananmen Square Massacre game is, we get back to the drawing board.
8: Jeopardy of the Xi Jinping's book, I think. <laughs> like, yeah, a good game for their students. And do you know the Harry Potter, they have the mobile game, and you cannot use the names like Xi Jinping, Biden, Trump to as your user account. So that's maybe one example of how yeah. they censor that. <laughs> yeah, you Harry cannot, Potter. You,
1: bb they cannot use We Need the
8: Pool too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> A lot of names are banned in that game. and least Harry, Harry Potter, yeah.
0: Okay, next up. Kinsha, sent in this one from NPR: A gene editing experiment lets these patients with vision loss see color again. In the first, doctors injected the gene editing tool CRISPR directly into cells, turning them into fucking robots. In the uh, no, sorry, that was I spent too much time in a clubhouse room here yesterday. Uh, sorry, the they used they injected the gene editing tool CRISPR directly into the cells in patients' eyes and uh, brought back their ability to view color. Fantastic. The experiment helped these vision-impaired patients see uh, sharp colors again. So I just tweeted that one out. So I guess this whole gene-editing CRISPR thing has benefits. The CISA releases a tool... To help organizations fend off insider threat risks, the U.S. Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency has released a new tool that allows public and private sector organizations to assess their risk of uh, internal threats and uh, and deal with them. So we got to minimize, we got we got to do a lot better cybersecurity in the U.S. because we've got a lot of bad actors trying to get up in our game. And then speaking of games... This one from Forbes, Play to Earn, the new crypto paradigm redefining the future of work. Play to Earn, also referred to as GameFi, like gamified financial, fi aims at turning regular users into a governing force behind major decisions within the gaming industry. And I believe Axie Infinity deserves a bit of mention in this article, but let's see if they do. The idea, well, here, even as the 21st century labor force continues to redefine itself, moving from more traditional methods of earning towards a gig economy, most of us are still used to working for organizations, a company, an LLC, a legal structure led by another human or a team of humans. But what if the future saw us working for a digital protocol instead? Crypto economies have already begun to shape the future of work. They blend how we play, learn, organize, socialize, and create With ownership and income generation, in this sense, what is currently transpiring is much broader than work, says Stephen McKeon, a professor at University of Oregon. In the crypto economy... We have nexuses of smart contracts where the movement of resources is enforced by code rather than human intermediary relying on traditional legal structures. What this means is that individuals are now able to collectively form complex contractual relationships, even in the absence of a third party coordinator. That's a game changer for human organization and resource management. Indeed it is. They call them DAOs. Yeah, I I knew you couldn't resist chiming in here. Uh, Go ahead.
3: there's a really interesting observation that I think is something that's been happening quite a lot. And from a developer's perspective, smart contracts are quite clever and they're not just, you know, sort of statements like in a SQL enterprise server where you're doing if then uh, transaction statements, those are SQL statements, but actually smart contracts are strung together. I've reviewed several of the major contracts like the board apes one, and that's like actually 13 to 15 smart contracts strung together. That's like over 15, 20 pages of code. And it's, it, you know, there's there's this, I think there's also like the, the misunderstanding of like what the code is actually doing. And as a developer and any programmers in the audience would also agree that it's creating transactions that are opening up a process inside the computer. And it's stepping through a number of things to identify the variables and the constant. So it's not as simple as just sort of, you know, several small snippets of code. No, actually there's a way to also optimize the code in a solidity in a smart contract to make it actually be costing less than gas. And it all comes from how you put your unique identifiers when you parse the actual value variables you're using. Sounds really geekish, but I think there's a lot of uh, misinformation out there as to what exactly smart contracts do and what they exactly are in actuality. And as I'm testing out with the blockchain council on smart contract, solidity certification, there's, a, there's just a lot of clarity that has to come around that because it's such a clever, clever way to string all these objects together. And it does take out the jobs of a lot of people. And it's unfortunate, but that is where we're going to UBI. So I really would like to see the possibility of innovation in the space and moving that forward where there's less hands that could be nefarious and how they may put their own spin on what they are reading or what they're seeing. And I think that's what I mentioned a few weeks ago. We talked about blockchain and AI, that if those two combined come together, that could be a massive force to be reckoned with because then it takes out a lot more of the human possibility of human error or human judgment and makes it purely transactional.
0: Okay, and the article... Goes on to say here, these smart contracts allow us to modernize the current coordination mechanisms that convert human input into capital, resulting in brand new labor to earn models and making more viable earning opportunities accessible to previously underserved people worldwide. New labor to earn models include three things. Number one. Learn to earn and participate to earn where users are paid by the protocol for simply using it. For example, on a decentralized social media app like mine, users can earn tokens by posting, liking, and sharing. The more people use the network, the more valuable it becomes, and therefore, the more it can afford to reward its users. Number two, create to earn where users can create art and playlists to earn network tokens. So adding content to the network. Number three, play to earn. By far the most developed of the categories, play-to-earn allows players to participate in the development of the game and earned simply by playing. Drawing inspirations from decentralized finance, play-to-earn, also referred to as GameFi, aims at turning regular users into governing force behind major decisions within the gaming industry. GameFi facilitates a player-owned economy when it comes to trading valuables as well as generating additional income with NFTs. The player-owned system is implemented through governance tokens, which can be represented as various game assets. Each governance token gives its owner the power to take part in the game's development and internal fund allocations. With that power, of course, being proportional, proportional to the amount of tokens each user holds, this type of system is transparent for everybody and ensures fairness in item trading between players. Players can also receive a share of the game's revenue while enjoying the gameplay. Conventional game business models are generally designed so that all the revenue goes to the publisher. In contrast, crypto games strive to build player owned universes, allowing players the freedom to, both play and earn. Here are a few examples submitted by the community of play-to-earn ecosystems. Axie Axie Infinity is the first one named, as I said. They deserve a lot of credit for this because they are the biggest in this space. Axie Infinity, a Pokemon-style online game where players battle each other for social redeemable tokens, became one of the first major crypto games to attract a lot of new players despite having a relatively high entry threshold. Within months, it's community came up with an, a unique strategy for those who can't afford to buy Axie monsters to play the game. By organizing a monster rental service, it was the players who made the game available and profitable for everyone, increasing the total number of players to over a million. Axie Infinity Protocol revenue surged 85% in the last month to reach $364 million in August 2021.
3: Tyler. Yes. They, um, they do have a scholarship, a scholarship program. In Axie Infinity, which allows you to lend out your axes, because you require three of them to play. It allows you to lend them out to someone else that can play. And then there are rules on how they have access to play and earn SLP, which is a token, and, and you could win inside the game, but it actually allows someone else to use your axes where you've made the investment to the game game tools, right? The three axes. And that person could be in Philippines and wherever, and they could play with your axes and you could earn inside while they're earning it for you. And they also earn a bit, too, which is really powerful model, in my opinion.
0: Very cool. So the next article, up. by the way, there is we could at any moment we've been invited to become one of the. Um. Content creators in the Rally Coin ecosystem, which Evan and Dr. Francine are part of. So, um, and this would essentially provide a, a lot of what was discussed in that article here in Tech News Around the World. And and I wonder if uh, Evan, if Evan on stage he was a bit ago, or if Francine's with us? No, both are not here at the moment. But essentially we would have a tech news around the world coin that escalates in value as it gets utilized and it grants certain permissions and voting rights and participation rights. And it's, it it would similarly like a play, play to earn as they call it. Like the more you participate and the more you comment and it it just, uh, it's a really interesting concept of of a sort of governance and, and incentivization structure. So we'll we'll wait until Evan and Francine are both with us here, and our friend Jeremiah, who's an advisor to RallyCoin. Rally is also in, uh, backed by Andreessen Horowitz. And I think Rally should partner with Clubhouse generally, that the whole um, Clubhouse itself should have a coin in the same kind of a way that goes beyond each individual room. But individual rooms who reach like 50,000 members, and we're quickly approaching 60,000 members. So um, we have that opportunity to explore if we so choose to.
5: Tyler, in such a system where people get incentivized just for participating... I'm sorry? ...the risk of people just participating for the sake of participation... And and actually there is a there could be a group who can come together and uh, dumb down that platform itself that okay so that everyone can get incentivized. That, so the, the whole structure there uh, doesn't well, no go in line with We could pen- we could penalize
0: stupid comments. So you
5: it, it, the the platform would be governed by, governed by fifty one percent, right? So, or the majority well, What I'm saying so is, is if, if if,
0: if people make stupid make we would we would pay. them to make stupid comments.
5: Yeah, but fifty-one percent people have to agree agree with what you're saying.
0: But yeah, but, I, but I, I'm per, uh, I'm pretty sure we would.
5: But what defines the stupidity is I think whenever there's a mass, uh, they, they, it always tends to stupidity, right?
0: Currently, it would it wouldn't. Uh, I would be the main holder. I would have fifty-one percent. So it would it'd be a very simple decision. I'd say, hey Tyler, what do you think? And I'd say, he has to pay, and then you'd have to pay. So the next one's from Evan, and let's see what this one was. The internal, this was, we talked about this one when we met eight, nine hours ago, and but this is worth mentioning and re-mentioning for those who've already heard it. International shipping workers warn of a global transport system collapse. Let me read that again. That's worth soaking in for a second international shipping workers, the people who ride on these container ships that are shipping containers internationally, they've all come together in a very big way to alert all of the prime ministers meeting at the United Nations General Assembly that uh, they're warning of a global transport system collapse. Let me let me open this article for you. Let me tweet it out. There it goes at the Tech News Twitter account, TNATW. You can read it for yourself from the Daily Mail. International shipping workers warn of a global transport system collapse unless pandemic restrictions on trade and movement are quickly lifted. Shipping workers warned Wednesday that transport systems verge on collapse letter issued by the Coalition of International Unions described dire conditions. Restrictions and delays imposed by pandemic protocols are delaying shipments. Workers asked for sane protocols and easier access to vaccinations. Supply chain crunch threatens to derail the busy holiday shopping season. We are witnessing an unprecedented disruptions and global delays and shortages on essential goods, including electronics, food, fuel, and medical supplies, the shipping workers warned. The impact of nearly two years worth of strain placed on particularly upon maritime and road transport workers, uh, but also air crews, is now being seen. The group said their continued mistreatment is adding pressure on an already crumbling global supply chain. At the peak of the cruise shortchange crisis, 400,000 seafarers were unable to leave their ships. That's a lot of people. Uh, And some seafarers working for as long as 18 months over their initial contracts. So what's happening is the the people who work on these container ships, these container ships get stuck off floating in, in the ocean off of a port. And the port's not able to receive them. And they're stuck there in some cases for years. And so they work on a contract and their contract was 6 months they were stuck there for 2 years they worked 18 months longer than they could they're stuck on a fucking boat and these are not enjoyable boats to be stuck on by the way so uh they desperately were planning to only be on for 6 months cuz they have to get back to their dying mother or their child or whatever and all this and it really disrupts their life they don't like being stuck on boats in ports for months longer than they anticipated so they're saying fuck it, I'll go work at Starbucks where I can make sure I can see uh, my family and my friends and, you know, do have a regular life. I don't want to be stuck on a prison out at sea for another 18 months. So they're quitting. And when enough of them quit, the system collapses. And they all know, they've all known for years that the Christmas season is particularly troublesome. And so they're all thinking, you know what? Fuck it. I'm not going to do it this Christmas. And that's why they're sending this out now, because the whole Christmas season contract situation all developing, and no one wants to do the work. And now we might not have any international shipping. No imports, no exports. So again, let me remind you, go to OEC.world, to find out what your country imports and exports and if you're importing energy and food just assume you're not going to have any and start preparing yourself so i've been screaming this for many months now but these systems uh are for, are not hyper stable or metastable they're fragile as this article actually says specifically verbatim and you can see how fragile they are i just explained how fragile they are and uh no it's worth knowing if your system is importing energy or food because it's likely your stores will be empty of food so keep either go to a place that's a food exporter or an, an energy exporter, or your lights will be going out, or your fuel, your gas stations might not have gas, as the UK is kind of finding out, and as China's finding out with their blackouts. So the China and the UK are not third world countries, and they're already uh, dealing with exactly this issue of supply chain and uh, transport. So Find out uh, if your country has energy and importing or exporting energy and food. So uh, it's it's wild. This is and by the way, when this global supply chain importing exporting thing comes to a halt, if your country GDP is based on trade, meaning importing and exporting, some countries are more in, dependent on trade. Some are not. America is not. America is not a major importer or exporter. China is specifically importing food and energy. So guess who's really, you really going to get fucked really hard by this? And guess who's not? A food energy exporter, which America is. Who has a low trade of GDP ratio. So countries who have a high GDP ratio to trade are going to get really, really screwed, particularly the ones that import energy and food. These are just incredibly simple concepts that everybody should consider (laughs) and take uh, accountability, uh, take account of, uh, based on where you happen to live and what you're going to need to do to make sure you have food and energy for yourself. And the good news is, it's actually incredibly simple to take control of your own food and energy. It grows out of the fucking ground, actually. It literally grows on trees. So energy comes from the sun. You just ha- all it requires is do it now, because when this when the trade collapses, you're gonna want to make sure you have control of your power and water supply before the system collapses so that you have your own water and energy. If you have energy, you can drill a deep well, get a water, you're good to go. So get your own energy and your own water on your own terms and grow your own food with that water. You get the energy, you get the water, you get the water, you get the food. You see, it's quite simple. It's kind of like ABCs. We can make a little song. So, Hey,
7: Tyler, yes. real quick on that topic. Yeah. Um, also, I, what COVID has taught us, I hope it has, in this great pause and reset, is that jobs that people used to laugh at and shun Uh, whether it's the service industry, whether it's the truck driver, whether it's the uh, the merchant marine. I think people need to look in and think about how they treat each other. Uh, And then also particular to governments and companies, the way they have treated these people along the way. They're now empowered to walk because they have options. And maybe if we learn something better, we can push on. There are jobs at certain levels that are needed and we don't need to demean them. Otherwise, when they do get power, they do have the option of pushing back. And it's their ch- it's their chance around the world to push back right now. Anyway, that's my two cents.
0: Already. So a lot of people are retweeting that article out to their friends, which is not a bad idea. Evan sends in one that Google develops AI that can accurately predict if it will rain 20 minutes prior. So you'll get very accurate alerts 20 minutes before rain. which I just... This is a, a beautiful use case of AI. If they get, if they're doing, you know, ninety nine percent accuracy predictions twenty minutes in advance of rain, it's it's pretty freaking cool, actually, John.
14: By the by the way, did did you ever revisit the issue of that uh, earthquake? Uh, no. Francisco? Yeah. It,
0: so obviously, California has not yet had that earthquake that was predicted. No, it. it
14: turned- Turns out, the turns out the guy behind that has been thrown off multiple platforms oh. for similar misadventures previously, and and that his reference to uh, a Deep Mind was totally factitious.
0: Okay, so Maurice sends in this one from Bloomberg: a new EV charger can provide 100 kilometers of range in three minutes. ABB from Sweden, Sweden's pride and joy. ABB is preparing to roll out. The first of its ultra-fast charging stations in a matter of weeks, providing enough power in less than three minutes to charge the car to go 100 kilometers. Fantastic. So in the amount of time it takes to pump gas, you can get a 100 kilometer range out of the car. Here we go. The whole argument that, you know, gasoline cars have some kind of advantage in their charging speed is no longer relevant. Lovely. Let's get those things out quick. And the next but, one. but the
18: thing is that the infrastructure surrounding it and the cars must be built for us as well because these are multiple kilowatts that need to be transferred in very, very short me- moment. This ca- <laughs> in an ordinary car, the cables would probably melt.
0: Yeah, that's a fair point.
18: So, so not only that we have the, the charging port, yes, the charging station that have the capabilities, but the cars must be, have the possibility to actually take that it's like firing off a a, a flash, a, a camera flash, to actually get that amount of energy into to a battery. I I again I I, I don't know where is our battery friend. Uh, I don't remember his name even.
0: Yeah, the Greek guy, the Milos. Milos, yeah. You're gonna need Milos. Yeah. It's basically like twenty, about twenty kilowatt hours and three minutes of charging. That is fucking fast that's crazy fast
18: yeah if you do the math uh, the thing is that the batteries we know what power what voltage they have and uh, the 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 kilowatt uh, the, the, that, this is pure math and it's not e- even hard i would estimate that you would probably need somewhere in the range of 300 amps at 48 volts and that is a lot in 48 volts you're done
0: so ohms so, law to- to- TikTok, is- well, in,
8: the,
4: in the article, it says that they're going to roll it out in Europe by the end of the year. So, I don't
0: know. Well, they it's like likely to be in Sweden England. first because it's ABB.
9: Um,
1: I have a que- a related ABB question. ABB is, is, is a Swedish, Swiss company, right? And mm-hmm. the headquarters in Zurich, I, I, I just read. I
18: don't right, have so I see, I see a see. Sierra Brown Bavaria is actually full, full name.
0: Yeah. The, I don't so, have any, by me, the way, but... Cheryl, Spotify's technical headquarters is in Liechtenstein. This is a don't oh. th- don't get us started on this whole issue.
4: <laughs> are are charging stations into uh are the cars into the charging stations can charge any car? Is that interchangeable?
0: Does anyone know? Say that again, Morris.
4: Well for example if it's a tel- tes- Tesla or another type of is that has that been standardized so it would you could use one station for different types of EV cars?
0: Yes. In fact Tesla announced they're going to allow non-Teslas to use their charging supercharger network.
1: I know, I know why because A merged with BB and becomes ABB. A is a Swedish, BB is a Swiss. So that's why.
0: So next article from Gareth, TikTok is evolving into a very different kind of music streaming giant. Let's see what they mean. A billion people are now using TikTok around the world every month and three times the global audience Spotify pulls in. And for the music industry, TikTok is expanding far beyond its core function as a repository of frivolous viral videos. Take, for example, Pink Panthers. The hotly tipped UK artist now signed to Warner Music Parlophone, who has over 6 million likes on the TikTok. Pink Pantheris doesn't just use TikTok to get her music out to fans. She uses it to actively self and r her ideas. I post a snippet of a track, and if people like it, I'll go and record a full version. She recently told the BBC, adding that the algorithm is crazy on TikTok. You can post a video, and you can have zero followers, and it can do well. Artists like Pink Panthers, of course, are also using TikTok to get noticed by the big record labels. Some 70 acts dis- were discovered on TikTok and consequently signed by major record companies last year, according to TikTok's own stats. The, the platform's higher-ups expect that number to grow significantly in 2021. TikTok's increasing presence in the music industry has even revived industry trends, Long Thought Dead and Buried. Remember when the global record industry blew up the concept of exclusive artist releases on individual streaming platforms? They're now back via a side door on TikTok. The, the likes of David Nuetta, Coldplay, and BTS have all premiered clips of much-anticipated new records on TikTok over the past year, days before these tracks land on music's largest on-demand streaming services. And then there's the potential of live-streamed concerts. This is an obvious expansion play for TikTok, whose per-user watch time is, according to market research, now rivaling YouTube's, and even surpassing it amongst some demographics. TikTok recently held a live-stream show in Korea featuring major K-pop stars such as BTS, Twice, and Super Junior. The show took place behind an online gate, users who registered a membership with the event's headline sponsor were given a code for entry in Korea a country where live stream tickets typically sell for 20 to 30 dollars some 600,000 viewers tuned in Dude, let's do the quick math there that's 1.2 million 1.2 to 1.8 million dollars for a concert they did from their re- rehearsal studio the commercial potential for such projects is vast. Yeah, well, when you can make two million dollars without leaving your rehearsal studio, uh, that—that's not bad. There are just a handful of examples of areas in which TikTok is building on the obvious services it offers the music industry. And TikTok tells, TikTok says that this new menu is about to increase again with the beta launch of Sound On, a direct upload service plus a suite of tools for independent artists who want to see their music thrive on the platform. For Ole Oberman, global head of music at TikTok, these, are, these and other innovations all point towards the same united purpose, helping artists build and feed their fan bases online. As such, TikTok is building a platform that he argues fosters deeper connections between audiences and musicians than your standard click and play streaming service. Here's the quote. We're now at the point where... A trending song on TikTok will achieve billions of views and many millions of creations in a single month, Oberman tells, Oberman, uh, the, the music guy at TikTok says. That's an incredible amount of engagement, and, and that's really the way that we think about things at TikTok. We are a platform that is about music engagement, not consumption. Whether that's views, creations, likes, or shares, it all mixes together in this kind of new form of fandom. This fandom factor is attracting music's biggest names, The past few months have seen everyone from Taylor Swift to Ed Sheeran and Abba launch their own TikTok channels, while other artists, most notably Jason Derulo, have built their own mini media empires on TikTok. Here, TikTok uh, ambitions in the music space and explains that the platform's importance to artists and the music business is set to explode in the years ahead. We are very excited about the role TikTok might play in live streaming. There's a great social layer you can put on top of live stream shows as well as monetization to complement the in real life live business. We believe we can monetize live streaming in many ways. We haven't really done a whole lot of it yet because we're currently more focused on building a great user experience. But down the road, it's something we will start testing more and more. By the way, they're just announced they're launching Uh, live streaming e-commerce about 24 hours ago in the UK, US, and Canada. So this is obviously related. This is is live streaming e-commerce, but for uh, virtual concert performances. And um, that's going to be a very huge thing because you could have these artists who normally have to get on buses and travel to your city to perform for you no longer will really need to, especially as we get into VR, because then you can go to watch your favorite artist perform live from their studio every day and in VR if you so wish. So that could be super interesting. And they could have a Q&A before and after the performance. And it's going to get really interesting. But that's just, you know, the idea that artists could make, you know, the same amount of money they're making touring without leaving their rehearsal space. That's just wild. Totally wild. Potentially more, actually, because there's no limit to the number of seats. Anyhow. um, Live streaming on TikTok already has momentum. We saw about 4 million unique viewers tune in to Justin Bieber's live stream performance. Uh, More recently, Ed Sheridan played a live stream show on TikTok as part of an association with the Euros soccer tournament that had about 5.5 million unique visitors and was a great launchpad for his new upcoming album. And a couple of weeks ago, Jay Bolivin played a TikTok live streaming with cutting-edge production that is already up to 4.5 million unique visitors, and we're thinking about airing it one more time. The show TikTok did in Korea gave us a real peek into how you could potentially sell access or tickets to these events, the whole gated live stream concept. A number of years ago, a leading streaming platform talked about how large the artist base that can make a living off of shows could become. Anyway, it's a a really interesting to see TikTok going into this. By the way, uh, TikTok also announced uh, NFTs today with a musical artist, Little Nas. And so this this is a whole other mind-blowing concept that artists on TikTok could sell their access to their music through nfts that their fans could actually become fractional rights owners of the actual music
10: i've noticed that um tiktok wants to be a super app for creatives so basically get buying data and also what the creatives actually want to make as well so there's going to be a lot of well, they we obviously know they're taking the day out, but it's a lot more lucrative in the way that they're doing it because it's genuinely, like, everything is creator-facing as well as um buyer-facing as well. So there's going to be so many levels to it, like, especially when you're doing A&R work on TikTok as well. Like, So you're able to even do A-B testing or even A-B-C-D testing and know what your demographics are and et cetera, like... My friend just got like um a million followers on TikTok the other day as well, so it's like I get to see in part some of that stuff um going on as well, so um it's cool. But then when you know what TikTok is, I don't know.
0: Okay, next up, uh Tomoko from Japan. sends in this one from The Verge, the headline reads Chinese Chinese companies are suing Amazon after getting banned for fake reviews, and we covered the the fake reviews when it, when, when Amazon banned them, they're all from Shenzhen across the river from Hong Kong. And basically all of these Shenzhen e-commerce companies were found a clever hack where to, if you want to be the top store in Amazon, you got to have the the best, the highest number of five-star reviews. That's a big part of the algorithm to determine when you do a search for you know, some iPhone cover, some smartphone case protector. If you have the most five-star reviews, you're going to be listed very high. And that there wasn't a whole lot of policing of fake reviews. And fake reviews are huge in Asia, where you can pay people in Cambodia, you know, five cents to leave a fake review. And they'll do that all day long, (laughs) all day long. So um, there was millions of these fake reviews. And so people were taking advantage of this scheme, getting to the, you know, and it's very lucrative. You pay $1,000 and you get a million fake reviews. And, you know, now you're the top store for iPhone cases. And now you're making a million dollars a week selling iPhone cases out of Hong Kong. So Amazon got hip to this game. And there was thousands of these uh, Shenzhen companies that were doing this. They were all doing it. They all got, you know, everyone's going to lunch together being like, if you're not doing this, you're an idiot. Well, it turns out if you're doing it, you're the idiot because you got caught. And Amazon doesn't like fake reviews on their platform, so they banned all of these. It was something like uh, um, 3,000 sellers. There
15: There was an article today, though, on The Verge, Tyler, that buying those gadgets, it was pretty much still a piece of cake. There, there's a way. If you look at the Verge article, there's mm-hmm. it's pretty easy to still buy those products on Amazon yeah. despite the ban. So they're, they're, they're playing like a game, yeah, back and forth on how to stay so in the store.
0: This article says that the Chinese companies are now suing Amazon after getting banned for their fake reviews. They claim Amazon is withholding their earnings several Chinese companies have filed a class action complaint against Amazon for banning them from the Amazon marketplace over their use of paid reviews. A new complaint filed on September 13th claims in the, in the last year, Amazon has cracked down on companies soliciting paid reviews on its platform claiming to have permanently banned 600 Chinese brands across 3000 seller accounts. The companies listed in the complaint doing business as Sopo. Oh Jesus. These are just, uh, like a cat on a keyboard, words. These are these are unpronounceable words. They, like spell it. S O P O W N I C. Subonic. <laughs> so Okay, try this one. S L A O U W O.
10: Slowo.
5: Flowers.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Try this one: D E Y I X U N. Dishon. That's the Pokemon. I'm sure it's a pronunciation. Dishon. <laughs> Most Americans can't
8: pronounce Huawei. Well, anyway. No, I think <laughs> I like <well>, to use <laughs> Chinese way to pronounce American it. Pronounce well.
0: Anyway, uh, so the companies, the companies. Okay. The companies are seeking, quote unquote, recovery of funds that are being illegally and improperly withheld by Amazon and are filing the class action to, quote unquote, stop any further misappropriation and misuse of funds that are. Legally and rightfully due to thousands of Amazon sellers and merchants, the complaint read, Amazon has a strict policy forbidding incentivized reviews, which it instituted in 2016. The companies don't deny that they violated Amazon's policies. Their problem is that Amazon's withholding several hundred thousand dollars to hundreds of thousands of dollars of their claimed earnings. Amazon's Services Business Solutions Agreement, which covers fulfilled by Amazon businesses like the ones these Chinese companies operated, is pretty clear that Amazon reserves sole discretion in deciding whether or not to permanently withhold funds if a company violates its policies. The company's counter-argument Amazon's in is in charge of distribution in a FBA agreement, so it shouldn't so it should have been aware the companies were offering gift cards to customers that left positive reviews. Hold on, let's unpack that. <clears throat> so these companies are arguing that Amazon is in charge of distribution in the FBA agreement. What? It, oh, the FBA is the Fulfilled by Amazon. So in yes. the Fulfilled by Amazon agreement, Amazon's in charge of the distribution. So it should have known that these companies were... Offering gift cards to customers who left fake reviews. Meaning, I don't
12: think it's I don't think they're fake reviews though, because I've I've purchased products and you get a letter, you get basically like a postcard in the mail saying you'll get a five dollar Amazon uh, Amazon uh, gift gift card if you okay. give a review a positive it's, review.
0: It's not an important distinction because it's still a violation of the policies, even if true. So it could be that they're paid reviews, which is still against their policy. So the point is that they're saying, ah, I think I understand what's going on here. So that let's assume you're correct, that these are not fake reviews. These are actual real reviews by real people who bought products, but they were paid or incentivized, and that's against the policies. And they were incentivized by getting gift cards. And that these gift cards were being sent, and all this was done rather transparently through Amazon's system. So Amazon should have known that we were violating their policies because we were doing it on their platform. We were messaging through the system, hey, you just bought our product. Would you like to leave a review? If you do, we'll send you a gift card. And this is all being sent through the Amazon system even though it's against Amazon's policies. So Amazon should have known we were violating their policies. Hence, you knew we were violating the policies. Hence, you still owe us our money. That's their argument. I
2: think they're right. I mean, there's still commerce there. The violation of terms, kick them off the platform, but don't take their money. They're still commerce.
0: Well... Amazon's policy says if you violate our policies, it's up to us if we keep your money.
2: I
1: have a question. So those products, that is, uh, FBA, right, fulfillment by Amazon, yep. those products, if they are sent to the buyer, I mean, I think the customers, and if the customers return the product, uh right. pay for it.
0: Then it's a scam.
1: Right. Right. So who is paying for that?
0: Well, the, it might, might be Amazon people, really they, they the could be selling work, it to right? their friends, you know, next door. Mm. Mm. So that's, again, it could be, even if they're quote unquote real purchases, they could be fake purchases because it's, mm. you know, they're all, this. these 3,000 sellers are all doing it to each other and then you've got 3,000 positive reviews.
2: Right. Mm.
0: And you're not actually shipping the items. It's so
2: probably all boils down to intent, right?
0: Well, I I, I almost uh, I I would bet heavily that this is exactly what happened. Is in Shenzhen, all of them made a little system where you buy it from me. I'm not actually going to ship it to you, and as soon as the transaction finishes, I'm going to pay you the money back tomorrow, cash. But you have to pay in through the Amazon system so that they see it was a validated purchase, a legitimate purchase. So you're a le- le- so it was a legitimate transaction, and now you can leave a, a, a an authenticated review, you're you're an authenticated buyer, a verified buyer, it was a verified transaction. And so, well, then in that case, you wouldn't need to incentivize them with the gift card. So maybe not. Anyway, it's weird. So the counter argument is that Amazon should have known because they're in charge of the FBA arrangement. So it shouldn't have been, so it should have been aware that these companies were offering gift cards to customers that left positive review. The View has asked Amazon for comment and will update if we hear more. Actually, trying to enforce its policies is a good thing for Amazon to do. Just because it was more relaxed before doesn't mean it loses the right to be strict now. It's easy to sympathize with these companies, but their experience is also the reality of building a business on a platform you don't own. At any point, the rug can be pulled out from under you. That also seems to be the implication of their point, which is, well, you weren't enforcing this before. <laughs> and so we all did it, and now we're all being penalized. And Amazon's like, yeah, well we didn't we we didn't police it before, but we're policing it now. It's gotten out of hand. Okay. So there's that. There's su- they're suing. We'll see how that one shakes out. And Sarif sends in this one from MIT, MIT Tech Review, which does really good work by the way. And the headline on this one says uh, a feminist Internet would be a better for everyone. Life online for women is toxic and filled with hate and sexism. Some activists say it's time to reimagine how the whole thing works. It's April 13, 2025. Like most 17 year olds, Macy grabs her phone as soon as she wakes up. She checks her apps in the same order every morning herd signal and TikTok. herd started out as a niche social network aimed at girls but everyone's on it these days even the boys macy goes to her personal page and looks at what she's pinned there photos of her dog her family her school science project it's like a digital scrapbook for all the things she loves all in one place she reads comments from her friends and looks at what they've added to their own pages she doesn't really go on facebook only grandparents are still using that or twitter herd is just nicer so no no like counts, no follower metrics, no shouty strangers. She checks Signal. Signal's been popular since the great WhatsApp exodus of 2023. When WhatsApp announced it would share your yet more data with Facebook and users fled <laughs> to more secure encrypted alternatives. I told you MIT does good stuff, right? I like where they're going. I, I absolutely love the style of this. It's a futuristic uh, narrative. Uh, next, TikTok uh, she watches a video of some girls dancing, swipes up, sees a cat jumping through a hoop, swipes up, reads an <laughs> explainer on volcanoes. TikTok doesn't collect so much data these days, nothing on her location, on her keystrokes. Much of that sort of data collection is illegal now, thanks to the Data Protection Act pushed through by lawmakers in the U.S. three years ago over big tech lobbying. May's, Maisie's running out of time. She needs to get ready for school, but she thinks about checking Instagram though she did get a weird message from a guy on there recently. She's used the apps simple one click process to report him and knows she won't be hearing from him again. Instagram has taken harassment much more seriously these past couple of years. There are so many competitors and choices for where to spend your time online. People won't bother staying in a place that doesn't make them feel good about theirs themselves. So then that's the end of the fantasy futuristic narrative. It says this vision, uh, of an internet free of, from harassment, hate, and misogyny might seem far-fetched, particularly if you're a woman, but a small growing group of activists believe the time has come to reimagine online spaces in a way that centers women's needs rather than treating them as an afterthought. They aim to force tech companies to detoxify their platforms once and for all and are spinning up brand new spaces built on women-friendly principles from the start. This is the dream of the feminist internet. The movement might seem naive in a world where Many have given up the idea of technology as a force for good, but aspects of the feminist internet are already taking shape. Achieving this vision would require us to radically overhaul the way the web works. But if we build it, it won't just be a better place for women. It will be better for everyone. And then it goes uh, into a bunch of screenshots that you have to see, actually. A whole lot of screenshots. So it's an interesting concept. And uh, and I think they're right that it's rather inevitable. And I think uh, identity verification will go a very long way to reducing precisely these types of egregious behaviors from all angles uh, above and beyond the, the feminist issue or the harassment issue, we should say.
2: My phone's about to die, but I have an interesting example. I made a new friend, and now my Instagram algorithm is all Asian models for some reason. And I've never followed that. So I'm wondering if there's some weird feedback loops they bring into things just to drive the men.
15: What so you're telling game. your wife, Chris, it's, it's the algorithm that,
0: that did it? Da- baby, the sweetheart. Darling. It's not your fault. It's the,
2: the algorithm. Knows, my wife knows my, 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 what I like, but I mean, what I'm getting at is she's an asian woman too that's what i'm getting at but it's just weird it's just weird to go from like machinist stuff to all of a sudden my entire feed is nothing but you know like instagram models is very strange and very weird timing congratulations
1: that's That's exactly what my dad say when i see funny pictures on his phone oh it's not me my friend (laughs) sent something to me you
2: know yeah dude i've never used instagram and so, like everything was uh, machinist stuff. That's all I follow is machining and like manufacturing. And then suddenly, you know, I I don't know. Maybe she tagged something at some point, and it created a a new loop for me.
0: All righty, we've reached a, a really nice pausing point with the tweets. We're just 20 minutes over, and we will, as usual, do a very special Saturday meeting for the hardcore geeks who are addicted to the tech news, where we get through. Uh, Because there's not a lot of normal announcements, news announcements on the Saturdays. But what we do have is I am about 27 hours of tweets to go through that people in this room have tweeted to our Twitter account. And on Saturdays, we catch up through all of those 26 hours of tweets. But when we meet again tomorrow, we will be 24 hours in the future. So it will be a total of 50 hours of tweets that we will have to get through. (laughs) Which we do, yeah, but Tyler, yes.
1: check the timing of your schedule. I think you okay. Yeah, you have to reset the time. Yeah,
0: I will.
4: And on Monday, you'll ha- we'll all be discussing the sixty minutes interview.
0: Oh, absolutely.
4: Uh, oh, yes. Where, uh, according to uh, someone from Facebook who testified before Congress, she was asked if there would be retaliation against the employee, and she answered. Not for because she's going after 60 minutes, she's going to go testify before Congress. She said not for testifying before Congress and left it there. So it'll be all it's going to be interesting.
0: Ah, right.
14: That's her insurance. That's her insurance policy.
0: Right. But she may have violated other you know, policies that they can hold her accountable for. So that's a proper answer, actually. Great answer, okay. very intelligent answer, actually. Yeah.
14: Okay. I think
1: she probably has some advice from the legal counsel.
14: Yeah. If you, if you look at the staging of the leaks and the uh, sixty minutes uh, appearance and announcing who she is, um, it's all very calculated.
0: Alrighty, it's going to okay. be fun. So that's that's uh, Sunday, but we're going to meet here tomorrow, same uh, same time zone. I'll put it in the calendar now. Uh, so you can ring yeah, the bell.
1: Just adjust it.
0: Yep. Already. Thank you. Thank you everybody. Have a wonderful weekend.
8: And try to try to let us clip tomorrow.
0: Yes. Have a good weekend.